Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Kari. I'm your host, Kari Feiler. A little housekeeping today, and the first housekeeping as such, I started a Patreon for this podcast. I really enjoy talking to people. Uh, I like to mill over ideas. I am a member of the common, and I think that this podcast space could use a lot more people uh, using their best thinking to argue for the commons. That's what I aim to do. That's what I hope to do. That's what I enjoy doing. And so I started a, a Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com, Kari underscore Filer. Uh, any membership level is appreciated and welcome. Uh, they're all just general thank yous now. Maybe I'll be able to add more bonuses in the future as this podcast grows, possibly. Uh, but I appreciate anyone and everyone who's coming here to listen. And if you enjoy the show, shoot me a few bucks. And let's keep it going. I appreciate it. In today's episode, I'm talking with my old colleague and classmate, Lan. She is a nurse and a wife. We talk about rave culture, small town culture, Uber's business model, basic income, entrepreneurship, the perils and benefits of immigration, the importance of hard work, possibilities for the digital economy, the concept of fairness, the rise of China, the benefits and risks of the university, and other topics. We do experience a lot of connection issues. I think it's just a matter of the Internet being a bit wonky for for both of us. But all in all, I think there's a great conversation that's had here. Land's a wonderful person. And I hope you enjoy the show. We are live. Hi, Land. Hey, Carrie. I'm seeing you a long time. It's kind of good to see you again or hear from you. Yeah, yeah. We were classmates uh, at Golden West in Dr. Speakman's chemistry. Dang, you have a good memory. Was that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. got it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think her I think her first name was Teresa Speakman. Teresa Speakman. Wonderful, wonderful professor. Uh, I enjoyed the class people. a lot. Tell yeah, us uh, and the people what you're what who you are and where you're from and what you're up to. Okay, uh, well, I am, I don't know how back you want to go, but I'm an immigrant from Vietnam. Well, like, as a baby, like, my parents bring me over, so hmm. <laughs> not initially. Okay, so, uh, yeah, and I majored in bio, changed it to nursing, now almost finished my nursing. So it's like a big change in the... I guess my major too. Mm. Um, yeah, it was a it was a tough decision because I wanted to go to med school, but looking at my GPA, I was like, oh, this is not going to be good. So um, yeah, I made a big switch to nursing. It, it, it definitely was a, a better match for me because I realized I felt a lot better in those classes, mm. and uh, I really love the field. It's still in the same field, which is medicine. It's just uh, in a different way, I guess. Um, and then also, um, yeah, I am a 30 year old. So just recently turned, oh no, last year, sorry, <laughs> last year turned 30 and turning 31. So I'm pretty excited to celebrate my uh, 30 years now. So what I like to say yeah. for people coming out of their twenties into their thirties is that you yes. have run out of excuses. So when you're, when somebody asks you how old you are and you can say, oh, I'm. 
29 or 25 they go oh they kind of go oh cute you know they pat you on the head go great you know but when you say you're 30 they go okay well what's your excuse then (laughs) what's your excuse for for not being fully developed uh i don't think i did lack a lot of development i mean at the same time i felt like my 20s was not a waste of time i loved my 20s i did so many things i did uh, what is call it? Uh, I joined in like a USA, uh, California pageant. That was fun. That was an ex- really, really nice experience. Mm. Uh, I went, yeah, like there's a bunch of things I did. Like that was, that were randoms that I got to do, you know, I go to Vegas, go travel to Texas. I guess that uh, fear so would be more in- for people like me who were, uh, headed towards failure in my twenties. <laughs> so that's, that's a no, fear that I've manifested. you guys are not feeling I don't know. I think it's it depends like what you see in life, you know, like what is your priorities? Like for me, I felt like, yeah, I wanted to go to med school. Like mm. that was a priority. Like I have knocked that out and off the bat in my 20s. But, you know, just it didn't. I realized I it was like kind of like I guess I realized my weaknesses mm. in my 20s mm. earlier. So that's why I made the switch to a different major, you know. Mm. So and then I kind of like built on the strength of what my my strengths were which is i guess i'm a very uh in nursing that, that that was my strength apparently so i did really well in that and then um in my 20s i just really loved doing like I, I just love to experiment a lot of things like if someone people told me to let's let's go out let's do this thing and i'm like oh heck yeah let's do it let's go try this out and try that out. As, as long as like within my capabilities you know like physically fit likewise so like hiking i've been doing a lot of hikes lately um and then also i've done uh raves if you got are you in the rave market just wanted to double check on you if you know what that is (laughs) i do i do know about raves i've gone to one i went to one rave that would officially be called a rave rave uh it was at a party where so this guy i want to call him john but i don't remember if his name was john i think it was john it's kind of this bronze shoulder length black haired dude who was super thin and ultra easy to get along with and uh, we went out to the desert and they were all babies and that's something that freaked me out i'd never seen the baby culture do you know what i'm talking about the what i'm sorry the it's this <laughs> baby culture inside of raves the one i went to people took a bunch of ecstasy and then they would oh. they would suck on pacifiers and have people waving fluorescent <laughs> glow sticks a few inches from their eyes while they trip out and that was uh that was certainly on display <laughs> at the rave that i went to oh yeah that was very interesting yeah i, I know what you're talking about um yeah the I've never done the drugs. Mm. Like, I guess that's, I'm, I'm being honest. I really have never done the drugs. So I don't know what it's like for them. And I, you're right. They do suck on the past fires and stuff, but I just thought it was very interesting because, um, people were really, really nice. when They're high, mm. I guess that was the weird part. <laughs> yeah. Most people were really, really nice. They would come up to you and hug you and just treat you like a normal human being. And it's, it feels weird. Like it's almost like, People are searching for some sort of connection in some way, you know, in this really, really awfully, like, uh, very isolated world, like you were talking about earlier, you know, um, where it's like, it's really hard to make a connection with a person. And it almost feels weird because, like, you kind of have to get likes on, like, certain social media in order to feel like you're uh, acknowledged as a person, you know. So it was an interesting experience. Yeah. 
that like people are just gonna like go up to you and just talk to you and say oh you look so pretty i mean mm -hmm. is it a real connection maybe maybe not i don't know but it was a very interesting connection that people had that um i guess uh i want to say i guess they they were more confident to be in or surrounding that people have similar interest in you know mm -hmm. music i guess that was probably the was the music oh so, yeah the music uh, and i liked and it the a lot dancing it's and the conviviality all that is in full swing yeah it's very very cool for sure i know it changed a lot in the years because it got more uh i guess mainstream so um <laughs> the funny thing is it's it's weird because like uh i guess they have this plur you heard of plur right what plur plur yeah like peace love unity respect that's like a slang in like the rape culture too. oh look at this so like plur yeah <laughs> i'm letting yeah it's interesting that's like a short term name i just learned that like pretty much when i was in that uh culture for a bit mm. um yeah and they and they say that like it, i guess a lot of times it's just some a lot of the people who believe that and truly that um they in like in real life situation it's really really hard to connect with somebody sometimes like all of that you know the plur is out of the door um and at the same time like they felt connection with people through this type of uh music events and stuff like that it it did change a little bit because it became more mainstream so people don't really share that uh similarities of plur anymore but there are still some like in the old ravers i guess they still believe in that um uh, I guess that message, you know, for what it meant. So yeah, yeah that that was an it. interesting experience. For me. Yeah, that was an interesting experience for me, uh, I guess, you know. So uh, yeah, so I've just been doing quite a lot of things, got married, moved away from California. And yeah, it, it was it was interesting the, I guess the best part of probably last year, what I did was a uh, my husband had to drive from California all the way to North Dakota and hmm. we were driving. I just noticed the difference in like, like just the towns, the smaller towns hmm. or noticing that people like it, it's a beautiful, like I, I think the best pass for me was going through Utah. Cause like it is gorgeous. A lot of Hills, a lot of like, there was like a river fall at one of the big mountains too. And it was just interesting because you also notice that how people really, um, there's not like a lot of diversity out in other, like uh, in other, uh, you know, uh, states as well. Mm. So you, you can see the difference in their mentality is different. It's just like where you're born you, or where you're raised, you'll, you know, things you're, you're affected by, you know? Yeah. And I've been saying uh, that we, we being Southern Californians and, and maybe even more specifically Angelinos, have an advantage going into the next uh, United States culture in that we understand at a very deep level that a person's skin color, their accent, their hair color, their style of dress, all that's irrelevant, right? Uh, we, we understand that you can't judge a person until they begin to speak or behave. You can't judge whether they're trustworthy or not until they show themselves to be untrustworthy or a liar or something like this. Uh, and how they appear on the surface isn't really consequential for ultimately who they'll end up being. And we know this at a deep level because everybody looks so different. <laughs> so you can see a very dark brown skinned person, a very pale orange skinned person, a Native American, a, a, a Chinese person, a Japanese person. And you can't know who they are until you begin to interact with them. And we know that uh, intrinsically here. Yeah, that, that is definitely uh, 
true in some ways, but I feel like um, with stereotypes, it still exists regardless mm. where you were raised. It's still there, you know, and sometimes I will have to say on the lighthearted side of it, it makes great comedy, mm. you know, stand-up comedy. Because mm. <laughs> uh, it's the only time where you can actually every everyone, and I'm talking about everyone. Funny, at the same time, if you can take it lightheartedly and not take it too serious, because you kind of have to, because life is so serious as it is. Mm. I mean, a little bit of a lightheartedness to a certain situation, being able to laugh at it also makes your life more. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, you know, life is, I was actually having this conversation with my friend the other day. I said, life has to be exactly 50, 50 terror and beauty. And the reason it has to be 50, 50 is because if you want to go online and say, what's the most horrible video of a human being being a horrible version of our species that I can find, you can go online and find some pretty terrible things. And then if you say, well, what is the best thing that I can find? You imagine all the mothers reading to reading their children to sleep and all the fathers giving their children unconditional support and all the relationships on the mend or, or relationships that just of partners are just supporting each other. All those things that happen every day, all the time, then you can think about it that way. And so the beauty and terror in life, I would argue, is really a the amount of beauty and terror that you see in life is really a feature of the amount and beauty and terror that you seek. If you seek out joy and laughter, you'll find it. If you seek out horrible, cynical, untrustworthy people, you'll find them as well. Oh, that's very true. Very, very well said. I agree on that. <laughs> I guess, yeah, you do seek your own message. Uh, and if you're seeking that, you will get it. Yep. Yeah, they say, uh, seek and ye shall find, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's very true. Yeah. Very, very, very true. So what was it like transitioning from Southern California? How long were you in Southern California? And what was it like transitioning to North Dakota culture after? Uh, after? Um, okay, that was interesting. I feel like um, North Dakota is very, very small. Like where we live, at least Forks. It's a mm. very, very small town. I would say people are pretty nice there, actually. I'm pretty surprised on that. Because um, I guess it's like a smaller town feel, so you people kind of have to kind of be nicer to each other because like if let's say you get stuck in the middle of the you kind of want to you know make a good impression in the first place so i feel like um that was that was kind of taken in my opinion at least you know hmm. they were hmm. actually okay with saying hi have a welcome or you know, that you know that kind of situation yeah so and i said that maybe because it's a smaller town that i'm moving to uh that maybe they kind of have to have the mentality. Yeah, uh, I I agree. Mm -hmm. I think I think that it might be, I think it might be a function of the amount of people that we can and do cross paths with in a given day here in this Angelino Southern California culture. That if you spent any amount of energy trying to give a warm welcome to half the people that you come across or that you come within six feet of, you'd spend all of your energy saying hi to people. You'd have no energy for yeah, anything you probably else. Would. So, that's true. <laughs> so you gotta, you have to save your energy true. around here. You know, just, yeah, I, I like to do a, you know, a nod, a nod, a light wave, uh, somebody mm -hmm. that you're in an elevator with, or, you know, if you make eye contact with somebody that, but that's really oh, yeah. about it. Other than that, you gotta save your energy. Keep pushing. 
<laughs> I agree. Most of it, it is like a faster pace here for sure. You kind of have to like keep moving forward, getting to where you need to get to. And mostly like <clears throat> work, I guess, is like number one here for mm. us. Yeah. So I guess you don't really always have time to be nice to each other. I hate to say that, but it's true. That's, like, so it, it made me, no, true. <laughs> it made me so happy one time. I remember when I, when I came back here and we were, I was just going back from a hike and I was driving and like just the simplest thing makes you really happy. Like at an intersection, you see, like, I see one of the, the guy in the other car and he was just like giving me a smile like and a nod. Like you said, like, I was like, yes, that is it. That's the attitude I want to see. And I was just like, it just, you know, simple little things like that it makes me so happy just to see like good human being. Like that's still like still trying to show that his neighbor, Hey, I got you. I see you have a good day kind of situation. You know, it's great. So yeah, I guess that's the that's a great thing about a smaller town because they're since it's a smaller population, they kind of try to take care of each other more situation. Hmm. Um, yeah, in a bigger city, you have more diversity, which is a great thing too you know, to see. Uh, but I think yeah, I, I think that's the differences in it. I mean, good and bad in either both, you know, whichever you whichever your preferences too. I guess um, the bad thing <laughs> maybe the food. <laughs> hmm. I don't get to see, I don't get to try a lot of diversity there because they don't have that choice or option. So I've been noticing to try to like mimic or cook in the house a lot more mm. when I was back there. So that was pretty, um, pretty rough, but, but it was fun as, as well. It's like going back to cooking again. <laughs> what do you like so, to yeah, cook? I love cooking and I love experimental. Yeah. So that, that's, but boy, it's a lot of pain about it. <laughs> But yeah, it's pretty fun. One thing I have noticed that we are truly spoiled for uh, choice of cuisine here in this area. Yes. I mean, you can, if you want Hawaiian, Thai, Chinese, Indian, American, Italian, it's all a 20 minute delivery tap to your door. You can have it in 20 20- <laughs> You just tap into your phone. You can have it at your door in twenty minutes. Pretty doesn't matter what are it you, is. Are you admitting? Are you admitting to use Uber Eats and Postmates and all of that? I do that? not use Uber Eats. Uh, <laughs> Uber Eats. I, I'm a. I'm. Am I fully anti Uber? I do use DoorDash. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. I don't like Uber. So Uber. Uber. I feel is is a little bit too naked, too nakedly greedy. So, you know, Um, companies and capitalism, okay, companies have to operate with a profit. Nobody's pretending that companies don't need to operate with a profit. Uh, I think the Google business model that now is emulated or the Google slash Facebook business model that's now emulated by by Robinhood and others where, oh, we'll give you a service then extract your data value. I feel like this is the should be the new forward edge of corporate greed as far as how how business models operate. Uh, But Uber is just. They don't even try to pretend to not be extractive. They just they they charges. They'll undercut their competitors, and as soon as they don't have any competitors, they send their prices through the roof. And they don't even pretend to not be doing that. Uh, so I'm not a fan. I'm I'm pretty anti Uber uh, in my operation. I use Lyft whenever I order a car, and I do DoorDash whenever I order food. But I do I do do. But to the spirit of your question, I do do. DoorDash. <laughs> Yesterday, I, I was laying on my couch and I went at lunch and I said, you know what? I'm going to tap in some Del Taco here. And it's really so luxurious to be able to continue watching whatever show you're watching, tap in and order. And then by the, by the time the episode's over, your food has arrived. 
Wow, that is pretty cool. <laughs> I agree on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really nice. Yeah, now that you talk about that whole Uber situation, like the great thing too is it's a free market. You you get to pick your uh, you get to pick who you want to support and who. I'm glad you're using your buying power for. So. I'm trying. I even drove rideshare for 14 months there, uh, which is really where I developed this opinion of Uber because uh, they were the first one that I signed up with. It was easy to get signed on. And I drove with them exclusively for three months or so uh, until I saw that, you know, you could do both. You could drive Lyft and drive Uber. There's no reason to not to. And some people I even encountered said they prefer Lyft. And so I said, well, I'll put both stickers on my car. And so I started driving for Lyft. And one of the key differences that I noticed very early on is during the Lyft training, Lyft says there's a video where they say, hey, you're in a car with another human being. You're providing them a service. You're helping them to get where they're going. It's very important, and it's important to our brand and your prop, your money as a driver to make friendly connections. Make sure that they know you're there to be helpful. Uh, try to be a friend. Just honor the, honor the fact that you two are two people having an exchange right this is a real human exchange and it needs to be honored ex exactly as that and that's part of the lift training uh, and that is not part of the uber training not by a long shot um <laughs> and that was one of the things and i discovered lift passengers were usually friendlier um but uber here's the thing and uber paid more uber paid about on average three to four dollars more an hour which you can imagine on eight hours a day 20 i mean this is we're talking a, a couple hundred bucks a week more that you can make mm -hmm. at U driving mm -hmm. uber so that's a big deal for someone who's earning 30 40k right and so a couple hundred, oh, yeah. hundred couple hundred weeks is, weeks is a big deal and uber was actually losing money in los angeles county in order to pay their drivers more so that they would drive more often for uber and then as soon as they got enough market share where they feel like they didn't need to pay their drivers more. They immediately cut the wage by 40%. Um, wow. And yeah, so Uber, Uber is a terrible company uh, as far as they're mm. just naked extractive practices. They just extract value from the common and don't pretend not to. And I, I don't approve of that at all. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks for sharing I, I didn't think that it was that bad but wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah happy to do it go lift order a lift or another competitor i mean this is this you know when it comes to capitalism there yeah. shouldn't just be two right we we the coke the coke pepsi dynamic it's oh, unfortunate yeah. it's unfortunate the coke pepsi <laughs> dynamic used to be an example of a phenomenon that we wanted to avoid. We used to use the Coke Pepsi example as as a way, well, we don't want it to get to the point to where there are truly only two choices. That's how we used to talk yeah. about it. Now we're talking about yeah. it in the positive. We're saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's the where's the Pepsi version of Google? Where's the Pepsi version of Twitter? These guys need a competitor, right? We need a Coke Pepsi model better than better than just one tyrant who controls all the ad ad revenue. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Um, I agree. But I mean, wouldn't it also take, uh, I guess, certain people to start creating your apps to do that? If that it's like what it is? Absolutely, it does. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge proponent of basic income. 
uh, and the mm-hmm. concept and a concept of attentional autonomy. So mm-hmm. I think that attention is the one true currency. Attention is the only thing that's valuable and attention is the thing that creates value. And in, in order for any economy to be sustainable, I would argue going forward, it would have to be based around the fact and honor the fact that attention is the thing that's valuable. Um, mm-hmm. And so what I think Americans need is a dividend that essentially would be our inheritance based on how past Americans have been able to be so prosperous. We would be inheriting mm-hmm. some of their prosperity such that we could live and pay rent and buy food and do whatever we want and have internet access and a, sh- and, r- and a roof and a shelter without having to sell any of our attention or labor to any local company that wants to buy our attention or labor. So we people should get a dividend, I would argue, of between let's say a thousand to two thousand dollars a month two thousand a little high so let's say between twelve and fifteen hundred dollars a month uh something mm-hmm. like the modern poverty the standard poverty line and people americans should just be paid that as a dividend uh and then be able to be free to develop those apps to compete with google to be able to band together and say we are going to form a new twitter uh, just like parlor has done uh and gab is doing right so there are Mm-hmm. Twitter competitors coming along, uh, but as Parler has played an example for, it's not easy to do. <laughs> Once you gain any traction, uh, these people they will they will turn against you. Uh, they will turn against you. So we do need people building apps, and to that end, I think we need to give people their time, full control of their time, so that they can build those apps. Yeah, I agree absolutely. Um... I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out the whole entire like business starting side of it because I, I it's like a small business basically. You're starting up, and you have to pay tax and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just trying to think like because I remember my mom building her own small business uh in, back in 2000, like 2015. Mm. I think it's around that time. I don't know, like apps like wise. I'm always wondering how is it on their side. Like, what's the business side of it? How hard is it just to get it started up? You have to go through BS to finally, like, launch what you, your, your passion. You know, and I remember, like, all the hassle. Regulations about building inside, outside. Uh, taxes, she has to pay ridiculous taxes that are, I don't know. I mean, in my mind, like, she's working, like, already seven days a week. And, like, she opens way longer than the other shop. I try to make a difference to stay in business and i'm trying to remember like how she's working so hard mm. for a very 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 small amount of profit it's like wow it's like it makes it just drives me insane sometimes like what's the whole point of going into business i thought the whole point of it is someone wants to be able to get out of like a certain income level you know they want to be themselves better so i i don't know what the the process for well, that bigger big or big big business Business, I think, has to be flexible. So if if I am in um, if I'm in Compton, California, and I insist Mm -hmm. on having a Confederate flag business and that's my whole store is I have a store that sells custom Confederate flags and I sell it only by people walking in. I'm not going to do a lot of business. <laughs> right? oh, just, no, no, it's no. just not going to happen. So you're definitely not, you know, get a lot of supports for that. Yeah. For and sure. that's the, that's the, the market dynamic. 
Uh, and mm -hmm. so, and businesses don't usually operate a large margin. Uh, but I think that the, yeah, I think a basic income would actually support small businesses uh, and would, mm -hmm. in a large way, because imagine if your mom, what type of industry was she in? Oh, she was in like the nail business. But if I, I thought about it, like there was like so many nail industries like popping up just mm -hmm. like boom, 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 like mm -hmm. that everywhere. So like the competition extreme. Mm -hmm. So like with That's that, like the prices, yeah, the prices are driven down, the quality of the work is, I don't know, I guess it's pretty the same everywhere in general, you know? Um, and it's just, it was just interesting, you know, seeing my parents go through that whole entire process and the hassle and the work that they had to put in a profit. It was, it was definitely hard. <laughs> it was a rough patch. Let's say that. I think it was AB5. I think Uber, it was Uber who started the AB5. I think mm. maybe you might know about it. It was like, because um, I think the workers who were basically used to be their own, basically they're self-employed, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're just contracting. Per Uber. Working. Yeah. Uber likes to call yeah, you a contractor. Then, yeah. So it's the same way as like nail technology and mm. um, hair stylist people, right? So it mm. affected our business as well because I think it did pass. So a lot of uh, nail places has to like either one choose to because they have to be paid a certain wage now. So they would have to. It's kind of hard to do it that way because like with uh, in and out, you can see, like the fluctuations of that. And then like it's hard to adapt. So my parents owned the business, right? So mm. the side of it is that they thought, OK, you know, they're not going to be able to afford to pay like a, a minimum wage for mm. a person. That that was hard because with the nail industry and the hair industry and that type of thing, you're 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 dependent upon how many men how if they even like the workers doing your the work mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So like and it's not always it's not the same every day. You have slow day where you mm. days with so many people. So like it doesn't really work for that industry specifically mm. because we you can't can't kind of justify with how much in every month so it was a little harder to that mm. so which the and the free the great thing is you don't have like i guess with the 85 it limits the workers ability to stay long at work too because then they can't stay certain hours if we weren't we would probably be short staff for certain rush hours you know what i mean so it was a little bit hard to accommodate as well it it, it kind of ruined for a lot of things i guess like mostly for Industry. I'm sure hair is probably um but yeah that I mean I can I can I am trying to see it from both sides it's kind of hard it's hard to be a worker to also be a business I get what you're saying I get what you're saying so in the yeah. industry in which uh customer so when in the industry in which there's a direct let's say service provider to customer interaction such as giving them a ride or doing their hair or doing their nails. So this is a very one-to-one one -one human type interaction. And then yeah. the demand for these type of services uh, are sparse, and then they also might mm -hmm. take a long time, right? So when you're cutting someone's hair, that's the only thing you're going to do for that 30 minutes, that hour, that two hours, however long it takes to do their hair. So you need to be compensated in accordance with the fact that that might be the only thing that you do for four hours at a time because you have to schedule to get to them. Uh, and so that yeah. that industry mm -hmm. needs to be understood very differently than 
a manufacturing industry, right? So if I make screws yeah, and exactly. I have to make 10 million screws every year, then I can have a thousand people and I, that can guarantee the hours. I know it's going to happen, right? And so I don't, so regulation and, and thoughts about that industry need to be different across those industries, right? So we need to understand that for hair, for treating them like employees and not as individual contractors doesn't make sense with the bottom line because of the sparse nature of the interaction, the sparse and discrete nature of the, of the, of the interactions. That, that's true, basically. So it, it's a lot harder. And that's why it, I guess it made sense for them to be a, a freelance because they could leave, let's say that they could leave anytime they want. They mm. don't have to work the whole entire day. Let's say that it's a slow day and they, they choose not to leave. They choose not to work. They could leave that day and just say, Hey, I'm out. It's too slow. I'm going to go home or something like that. Mm. But mm. like with that, with the change in that, like with the AB5 being enforced, it made employees. So now they either have to stay because it could be a possible. And it, it just makes it a lot harder, I guess, lawyer to actually uh, gauge the wage that they're going to make month see i would be i would be for something like this let's say Mm -hmm. i'm running mom and pops uh i'm running mom and pops rideshare business and i've got a a fleet i've got 10 cars or 10 contractors let's say 10 cars and 10 contractors so 20 available drivers Mm -hmm. at any one time and it's a very small business our margins are razor thin and i have my uh, the people that work with me as independent contractors because it's sparse. It only happens often, doesn't happen so much. I think that makes sense for mm-hmm. a business that's clearing, let's say, less than $500,000 in profit a year. Uh, or not, not no, $500,000 gross revenue, not profit because they companies hide their profits. So let's say 500000 or a million gross revenue, something like this, talking about a medium to small to very small business. In that case, okay, I say in those cases, okay, independent contractors, you got to do what you got to do to make ends meet, you're fine. But once we're getting to the interstate, international, multi-billion dollar business, that excuse is over for you. Once you're once you're doing a billion dollars gross revenue, you no longer get to say your margins are razor thin. So that I would argue that uh, our elected representatives need to be nimble enough in their understanding that they can separate small businesses that are clearing a million dollars annual operating revenue from international billion dollar businesses. (laughs) Why do we have to conceptually treat Uber conceptually as the same as a small business? It's not small. Oh, no, I agree with you on that. Absolutely. It's just um, with the fact with the fact that the the Uber industry, like the workers force, like trying to push for the 85, it did affect Mm -hmm. small business. Mm. And I think the problem is the fault comes from government in general. So the government couldn't differentiate because they can't tell the difference. No, yeah, yeah. because what you said makes total sense for your family. The government needs to know they, they they're so heavy handed. They go, oh, well, if it applies to Uber, it has to apply to you. No, it doesn't. No, it really does. And I mean, mm. it's really, it's very different. Like, it's completely different mm. business. Unfortunately, it did affect. I think that's when my thought, like, you know, we're getting out of this business. We're not probably staying in California. And they did. They really did. They sold their business to taxes. Um, I don't know if they're going to start back up another business soon just because due, due to the COVID. That was, um, they might, you know. Oh, no. Did do, COVID shut but... them down? Huh? Did COVID no, it stop was... their business? Uh, it didn't, but it definitely slowed it down a little mm, bit, and mm. then they sold it. 
luckily they were able to sold it before it got too bad you know mm. they, they just moved they, which is great because I, I don't know we'll see <laughs> it's a different life for them i mean from the last time i spoke with my family that was that was interesting but yeah being able to be in that situation helping uh just searching business gave me a inside of what to actually own it seems it's extremely hard for sure it is very it's very hard. Yeah. And I think the yeah. I think the key factor is that people need to be free to do whatever they want. So when we look at when we look at Frederick Nietzsche, Elon Musk, right? Um, who's another good example? Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, right? Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. These people are good examples because they were able to do exactly what they wanted to do. Whenever and then mm -hmm. once they discovered they were objectively good at that thing, they were allowed to excel. This is what makes American culture uh, so enviable in specific degrees. Of course, we're we're uh, you know pitiable <laughs> in a in a whole whole <laughs> host of other degrees. But in one degree, uh -huh. we are enviable in that we tend to promote mm -hmm. freedom of enterprise. Uh, and what's happening yeah, yeah. now in our culture is that the common class is being so stifled where people who would be mm -hmm. good entrepreneurs are drowned in student yeah. debt, they're drowned in housing debt. Mm -hmm. They just feel hopeless. And oh, so yeah. they so they just sit at home. They go, I don't know, I'll just they just they go they say, I'll just do what my parents did and not even aspire further. Or I'll just I'll just you know, they, they settle. They settle for something where they might not have if the economy was more vibrant and if the economy gave them more of an opportunity to take risks you know like healthcare. a lot of you've heard probably heard of the oh, trap yeah. that a lot of people are in and that they don't leave their job because they need the health care even though they would mm -hmm. like to start a new business mm -hmm. but they can't take that risk they can't be without health care for a year and so they just stay in their job and go well i'll just commit to this path when what if they had switched to that industry that they were really excited about they could have been the next bezos they could have been the next musk we don't know but they they mm -hmm. they settle and commit because it's so hard to take risk and that's what I would that's what I think a basic income would provide is it would provide a, a framework in which common people could take more entrepreneurial risks and I think that would be of great reverberating and and recycling and self reinforcing reward to our economy. I could see that. Um... <laughs> I always end up asking this question, like, how are they going to be able to collect that much amount of money to support universal income? That's uh, not that much. Okay. I think with a, uh -huh. something like a 15% VAT, 12 to 15% VAT and a 0.3% transaction tax on Wall Street, we could clear uh, a couple trillion pretty easily. The money's there. We have tons of money in the economy. It's not like the money's not there. Uh-huh. So it is possible. Oh, yeah. But do you think it's also going it would it affect inflation? So I was wondering too, because like once I remember once that like minimum wage increased, I remember inflation pretty quickly too. I remember that. So would it also like, uh, I guess, would it be able to adjust with inflation as well? It would affect inflation uh, <laughs> as as things do, but the counter, uh, you know, as any mm -hmm. as any increase in surplus of supply of dollars will affect inflation. Uh -huh. But the counter to inflation isn't mm -hmm. people being poor. The counter to inflation is market competition. The reason I don't pay 
$15 for a hamburger from Burger King isn't because I can't afford a hamburger. It's because I can get a $2 burger up the block. That's why I don't pay $15 for a burger. If all the burger people in my city coordinated to where nobody charged less than $10 for a burger, then that's all I can pay. <laughs> you know, then that's all I can pay. Uh, and so the way we'll keep prices low on rent and healthcare and, and, and streaming services and all the things that we consider so dear is through competition. That's how we keep the prices low. It's not the fact that people have more money. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's how that will work. I don't think I don't think we would need to implement price controls on on uh, internet services or anything like that. Uh, I don't expect that would be, as long as we have competition. Uh, co that's a yeah. see that is that is a principle of the market that can be really powerful because I wouldn't pay fifty dollars a month for the internet service I have if I could get better internet service in this exact building for $40 a month, then I'd go with that one. And so as long as I have a better option that makes sense to me and it makes sense socially, right? Uh, you know, people buy things for the social reward for the brand, you know, I'll pay $200 for a pair of Jordans. not like there are better shoes than the $40 Adidas, right? Quality wise, uh, but it's for the brand, for the social. So but I, I think that putting more money in people's hands would make them more powerful in the market, a more powerful force, and would give them more choice. Uh, and so as long as businesses aren't colluding to fix prices like uh, like companies tend to do when they can, as long as we have that in check, I don't think the inflation would be unreasonable. I feel like there would be some colluding because uh, uh, wouldn't there be also lobby lobbying enough and stuff like that, you know, for like campaign elections? Well, campaign finance is a different beast. <laughs> that's a different. Beast. I don't know. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, in general, we there, I feel like we're so like, I don't know, like we, behind doors. We don't really know what's going on. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, like we don't know how it's very, very, very big top. We don't know how they do business, how they work with the government. I don't, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't know how they if whatever they're they're on it you know what I mean? so i i guess that's just my bigger problem issue like i feel like everything the government tries to sometimes they do as well so they fail at it and I, like the best thing that i can do is trust in my own abilities try to do whatever i can to do this you're absolutely right you're absolutely that, right oh, but i would want that, to that uh-huh no i i agree i totally agree uh but i would want to recategorize the program of a basic income uh, in your mind, reconceptualizing it as something and not as a government program, because all the government would do is collect the tax and send the checks. Mm -hmm. That's all they would do. This is not means tested. This is not you don't have to apply for it. You don't have to fill out a form and talk to a bureaucrat. This is not a government program. All they would do is collect the tax and send the checks. And so this is really about empowering you. This is about sending you $1,200 a month. Let me ask, are are you a citizen? Are you comfortable saying that on, on the record? Oh, yeah, I'm a I'm a citizen. You're a citizen. I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. Okay. I'm just curious how the process will work out. That's what, yeah. yeah. The, so the process would work uh, 
where the government would collect the transaction tax, collect the VAT, which, yeah. as we see from European nations, a VAT is very hard to avoid. And the transaction tax would be impossible to avoid because you have to report that to the IRS. Because uh, every transaction goes through a broker who wants to stay in business. Uh, and so th- those taxes would be collectible, not like the wealth tax or the income tax or the you know corporate tax. Those are very easily dodged, as we see. Uh, so these would be difficult mm-hmm. to dodge taxes that would be collected and then sent to you with no means testing. Uh, and that makes it that's makes it makes it a program for you like Social Security or a program for you like many tax credits or something like this. This this money goes to you. So it's about empowering you. It is about empowering you and it's about empowering me. And the reason I asked the citizenship question is that there's a mm-hmm. there's a sharp edge of basic income that I, as a mm-hmm. proponent of basic income, am, am aware of, and that it would be very hard for immigrants. It would put so much pressure on on guest workers, on temporary workers, on, on visa workers, mm-hmm. because they wouldn't have this cushion. And so they would still have to essentially sell their sell their efforts to the highest bidder. Um, Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a double edge. And that's that's a factor that would come into play because you couldn't argue for basic income for a class outside of citizens. You It, it could only be limited to citizens in order to be passable uh, yeah. within the next p- political reality. Mm. That is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard about it that way. Um, um, I'm just trying to figure out. OK, but like you said, there's a lot of money out there in Wall Street. Well, I never Poplin? I the didn't. US? I didn't hear that question. Yeah, you said it like it was like limit, or is it like a give up? Uh, the transaction tax that I've heard of is point. I think a point three percent, or yeah, point three percent transaction tax would raise several hundreds of billions of dollars. I'm looking now. How much money? How much money goes through Wall Street every day? How much money goes that through this? Sounds like a good thing to research on. <laughs> make it daily. Yeah, uh, I've seen the I've seen the numbers every couple of weeks, and they change a lot. So, twenty one point three trillion. The average daily volume was approximately one hundred sixty nine billion in twenty thirteen. One hundred sixty nine billion dollars moves through Wall Street every day. Every day. 169 billion. So I'm talking about raising, you know, a couple. So this is, let me do this math. I actually have an article about basic income where I broke down all my recommendations. Yeah. That'd be a good. 169. Like for me, everything's like the math. Does it, does it make sense to do it that way? (laughs) Times. And then also like, I was wondering like, what if they are savvy or they're their money out of the altogether well you you wouldn't right Uh, so on wall street we're uh, talking about upwards of 50 trillion dollars a year that moves through that that place so i'm talking about you know a a fraction a very very small fraction of that in order to fund a basic income um and no you wouldn't no 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 business would move their money out of the new york stock exchange it just <laughs> you'd be you'd be yeah, shooting yourself in yeah. the foot in order to do that yeah Toad. so let me ask you this let me ask you this if you got what would it mean for you if you got let's say 1200 dollars a month guaranteed for the rest of your life 
how what would I do? I well, how would how would it, how would it affect you if it started next month? Let's say March 2021, you start getting the check, and now you're going to get it for the rest of your days, and it's going to go up with uh, inflation. So as the poverty level goes up to you know, $1,400 a month, $1,500 a month, it would go up with that. And so you'd always be guaranteed to have at least enough to have a roof and food. Um, let me think about that. Uh, so $1,200 per person, right? So mm-hmm. let's say that you have a kid. You have a kid. Is that another 1000 It's not. No, um, I argue. And I argue for basic income a little bit differently in that I argue yeah. for every adult over 25. I don't start at 18. Wow. Uh, a lot of people I start see. at 18. I don't. Uh, some people adjust it for kids. I don't. Uh, so I don't yeah. want I don't want basic income to be an incentive to have a larger okay. family than you should at that point in your career. Uh, I'm supportive of the idea of young people in their early 20s, mid 20s, working to establish themselves a little bit in a career in the industry, get a little bit of get a little bit of stability under your feet before you start having a bunch of kids. I'm not against that principle. And I wouldn't want a basic income that rewards irresponsible childbearing if there's such a thing, because uh, it's not it's not yeah, obvious to me that there is such a thing. Children are the future. It's important to have children. But maybe there's such thing as irresponsible childbearing. Um, you know, I've known people who. I've known people who have said, hey, I've been asked this question. Hey, do you have any kids that I could claim on my tax return? What? (laughs) What? What is going on? So I I know that there's a culture that that has what many would call irresponsible childbearing. But there's no, you know, every child is beautiful, right? So I I don't want to, I'm not going to lean very heavily on that idea. I'm not going to say that, oh, some people shouldn't have kids so bluntly. That's not how I feel. But I do want to encourage young adults to be first be responsible with your sexual organs and then yeah get get yourself established a little bit before you bring some kids into the world and then please do bring kids to the world and so i argue a little bit differently for the basic income in that regard so no no extra money for kids in answer to your question okay so uh, will i be forward for it i think it depends on the area but personally for me i don't think it affect me either way because Mm. um I'm in the healthcare field. It's a pretty stable position, you know, to be in. Like you always, always find a job and pay is okay. You know, it's pretty stable. Hmm. So you don't always have to worry about that. But like, I guess for other people in different areas, um, like where their job is not always there or maybe, uh, maybe they can't even find a job at all for whatever they're doing. Or for them, you know, hmm. you understand? Yeah. Like, I don't know. My mom taught, raised me a lot different. What I, because they come from a care less whatever you do you know you survive or you die that's that's on you you know Mm. so um they kind of brought that mentality and kind of instill it in my mind to still like you know the u.s is great like you get free education and stuff like that you immigrate here you but you gotta like they always tell me don't depend on it because it always can turn back on you later Mm. on and then Mm. also it Mm. it yeah exactly enables you to as well so I, i guess i was raised differently to try to be more self-reliant just like because that's the only way that you can actually appreciate the fruit of your labor i guess i mean for you like what you're saying like for those people who are creators right like uh, app it kind of makes sense for them because it's different to create something kind of have to have a little more free time to create it mm. so um i think it depends like what about people who don't plan on working at all and live off of it? Now, that's an 
Well, I'm sure people probably are better than that. You know, I want to give like benef- benefit of a doubt. Yeah. You got yeah. my point. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I, for, for, for the idea of, of that your parents brought to the table, which is a very important idea. Uh, I think we mm-hmm. can stratify the levels of survival that are ap- that are applicable to people in different generations. So if I were mm-hmm. in pre-consolidated Arabia in my family, then the main thing that my family has to do is make sure that the tribe on the other side of this valley can't kill us. That's our daily concern, that we can collect the okay. resources, that we can collect the animals, and that the tribe on the other side of the van- other side of the valley can't come over and kill us. And if we need to, we can go over go over and kill them. That's our real concern and that's what we spend our efforts on. And then the next level oh, yeah. would be let's so this would be in post consolidated Arabia. Now I don't have to fear my neighbor tribe. Now I can actually interact with my neighbor tribe and we, we don't have to fear for our lives morally. So we can spend our efforts doing things like farming, making sure we have an operational Mm -hmm. economy functioning that way. So I'm arguing Mm -hmm. for even the next level stratification of Mm -hmm. guaranteed security, where as a member, not only do I not have to fear for my physical safety as a member of this society, I don't have to fear for my economic safety because my ancestors have already secured so much resources. So this frees me to Mm -hmm. pursue Mm -hmm. an even loftier goal than my parents could. Right. And so your parents were absolutely Mm -hmm. right. That for them mm-hmm. uh, and for many around the world, you have to secure your economic resources so that you can live and breathe. Uh, that's an important thing. Mm-hmm. What I'm arguing is that our country has already passed that threshold. We've already passed into the Jetsons mm-hmm. future, but but our leadership <laughs> is is holding it back. Our leadership is so incompetent and they've become so beholden to the international corporations that they are holding the, the Jetsons futures back. So the companies can continue to make record profits. Uh, we're already at the mm-hmm. Justin's future. We are at the point where we don't even have to. We shouldn't. Even, we we should all be free to pay attention to whatever we want, whenever we want, for as long as we want, as long as we're within the bounds of civil and lawful society. Right? People shouldn't be able to break laws. And so that's that's what I want to say against, not against, but just an understanding your parents' perspective, which is righteous, and how our perspective can be different. And now to the point of yeah. irresponsible people. The people who are going to live on basic income and not do anything else are already irresponsible. They're already irresponsible. So I don't think there's a, there's a section of society that is currently enthusiastically, energetically contributing to their companies that then when they get a basic income, they're going to go, OK, I'm done with that. I'm going to be a couch potato now. <laughs> I don't think that person exists. <laughs> I don't know those people. Yeah. Uh, the people that are currently, quote unquote, disabled but really they aren't uh and they they pretend to be disabled so they can collect the check and don't have to work those are the people that are going to mooch on basic income but they're already mooching they're mooching on disability they're mooching on unemployment right so the the moochers will continue to mooch and so i don't think basic income will decrease the number of moochers but i don't think it will increase the number of moochers either Mm. Okay, I hope so. <laughs> That's all I can. Hope so for. let me let me ask uh, you: Do you know anyone who is currently not a moocher who you think would become a moocher if basic income was implemented? Do you know personally anyone well, like that? I don't know. I do know people who already welfare. Oh, already know? moochers. Don't. Yeah, that yeah. are already. Moochers. Yeah. And it's kind of like it's kind of 
I guess in my opinion, I, I think it's just a little upsetting. People are able to do really amazing things, mm. you know? Mm. People can do so much more, maybe even contribute back mm. to society as well. But I just can't, like, with work ethic, I have a different perspective, you know, perception of it. I think that it's be a good, you know, it's kind of like if you want, if you want a good community, contribute back, you know? So I don't know. I I don't know how they can live like that. That's just my opinion, you know. I just don't know how they can continue mooching on the. I'm actually thinking now, if there isn't uh -huh. a way to capital to capitalize on their mooching. So, is there a way to <laughs> is there a way to value their mooching? So when we say when I say mooch, I'm talking yeah. about playing video games and watching streaming services. And I guess that's what I'm talking no, about. Just, just. I think my mooching yeah. is different because I've seen property, and, like they put it under other, like all the family mm. at one place together. But then someone's check. It's like they do have money. It's not like they don't. But mm. they're they're kind of selfish instead of like giving back. They're just part of the problem. You know? they're taking it for themselves mm. and it's like it's kind of a, I, in my opinion it's toxic it's not a good it's not a good i hear it i hear it so now i'm thinking of i know people who are addicted uh and have mental instability issues and so i think those issues are independent of a basic income uh the people who i'm thinking of that are addicted and, and have mental mental instability issues uh but still operational they collect uh, unemployment they collect disability they scam social security they just they scam for their for their effectively basic income they don't work uh, they haven't worked they don't work they just scam uh, and so yeah i guess my my argument for basic income is that we should yeah we should see that these people who don't want to contribute in the traditional ways might still be able to contribute in new innovative ways. And so if we consider attention to be the one true currency, then we have to ask ourselves, what are these people paying attention to right now? The addicted, chemically addicted. So alcohol, heroin, uh, methamphetamine, they, they are, they're off the board, right? So that's, that's, mm -hmm. those are people who have chemical dependencies. They aren't going to be useful to anyone, especially themselves. They need to get off those drugs first. Uh, so that's yeah, well, that's a, but then mm -hmm. someone who's not in that case, someone who just spends their time, what they they go to the gym, then they watch TV, then they eat fast food and then they go home and then their parents says, are you looking for a job? And they say, of course, I'm looking for a job. And then they really don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know what the situation would be, but that person, we need to figure out a way to yeah. to kind of value and monetize what they're paying attention to. Google and Facebook have figured out a way to do it, which is sell ads against their clicks. Uh, so we need to figure out a way for them to get paid for clicking on things. Uh, I think I'm thinking about <laughs> how do we get paid to click on stuff, Lan? Have you have you figured that one out for us? <laughs> oh my lord! Um, aren't clicks supported by ads though? That's what I'm thinking. They like, are now. I think I think like with ads, that's what's paying it. But then people also have ad blockers as well. Oh yeah, very effective ad Ooh. blockers. Love ad blockers. <laughs> Yes, I know. I know how you feel. Then at the same time, mostly paid from like if 
they have a certain amount of numbers of people visiting a website or visiting a video and like I know YouTube is like how many times you like that video if you comment in that video in order for that person to actually some sort of money back it's like some mm. sort of like like how me like how popular it is mm -hmm. it's all about just sending sending an ad out there that's going to be seen by a lot of people and I guess those people who are paying for the ads are like companies I think it's mostly companies who just wants to make sure that somebody can see that message use their stuff it's business in general like send it out yeah and then they just want to get make sure that people can see their uh i guess their business yeah and then ads ads might collapse if they realize that you know if it stops being a valuable investment for them right if i spend a hundred thousand dollars on ads in a given year mm -hmm. and then i realize that those ads have only brought back sixty thousand yeah. dollars in revenue when i just i just gave away 40k so why would i continue yep. serving those ads and so yeah you know the ad model is inherently flawed i'm actually a big fan of the subscription model uh i actually have a patreon for this podcast uh i believe uh -huh. that direct support of the people that you're that of the people that that so of the people that consume so to use i don't like to use the word consumers but i guess we can call it let's let's call it enjoy of the people that enjoy your patreon, output right patreon yeah yeah, uh, I know that one. Of the people that enjoy your output, I think that direct support is actually a, an amazing model uh, because if oh. someone is listening to this podcast and then they go, mm -hmm. I like what this guy does, shoot me a couple yeah. bucks. Right? <laughs> that keeps <laughs> it going. That And that's a direct relationship. There's no middleman. There's no nobody. I mean, other than arguably patreon uh but even some of my favorite supporters got like sam harris and jordan peterson they have direct contributions so if you like their work you can just give your give uh money straight to them i give sam harris seven bucks a month um and that's yeah. fine with me that's within my that's within my range and so mm -hmm. i think if these if these people who are not economically useful at first glance they're just, you know, they've got the property in other people's names. They don't take responsibility for anything other than their phone bill. Um, I think if these people could set up some sort of direct payment and then look for an audience online, maybe they'd be interested in that. Maybe they say, well, I can I can record a vlog. I can sit at my desk and talk into my phone, a you know, for an hour a day. And uh, if people like that, they can pay me. Sure, shoot it right. Be a, be an online personality. Uh, do do whatever oh, yeah. you want, whatever you enjoy, and then broadcast that out and see if there are people that are willing to pay for it. There are billions of people. Who knows? Maybe these people could be rewarded for being quirky and weird or or having their point of view. Oh, yeah. uh, who knows? Who knows? Right? There's an entire economy that could be mm -hmm. built that includes people who are currently economically useless uh not to use that phrase cavalierly but it's a phrase that i think captures what we're talking about people who people who aren't contributing in traditional ways we need to figure out a way to get them to contribute and i think that maybe in a patreon direct support model for something that they built could be useful uh, does that make do you, do you think that do you think i'm barking up a bad tree here <laughs> <laughs> i think it's a very interesting idea i mean i i heard of patreon I think YouTubers, they aren't being reimbursed as it used to be like when it started started out, you know, because mm. I guess there's so many creators nowadays that YouTube kind of have to like pick and choose the winners and losers or the mm. people who were there in the beginning. I must. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I think we're hitting on the idea of of allowing people of allowing the economy to spread into the digital space. And so mm -hmm. if if I'm in, let's say I'm in I'm in my town, right? I'm in Compton, California, and I can't find any sort of business, you know, actual physical brick and mortar business in Compton that will buy my labor from me or do I even want to sell my labor to any of them, to be absolutely honest. And I can't find any digital business that wants to buy my labor or my attention. And I honestly don't want to sell my attention to any of them. It's still imperative. So I would argue that the imperative to contribute comes from your family. That's not something that, or more or less culture, but then also your family. That's not something that the government is going to get you to do right the government won't turn people who aren't contributors social contributors to it won't turn them into contributors so you have to get that somehow uh, you know if you're fortunate enough to get it from your friends and family from your parents that say hey you got to go out and do something you got to add something to the world you can't just extract you have to add something to the world that's an orientation that i put down for my family my family's given to me and i will continue to pass on uh, as much as i can but so they have to have that in place. But if they do have that in place, then they can say, well, I'm not going to contribute at any of these brick and mortars. I'm not going to contribute at anything online. What am I interested in? Pursue your interests. If you like to watch YouTube videos and then engage in the YouTube comments, if that's what you like to do, do that thing. Do that. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's where you're going to be your best for every human your best contribution to our species will be whatever excites you, right? Because you're not, you're, if, if, there, if in your life you're going to do a thousand different things and 10 of the things really got you going, I mean, really got you out of bed and really made you excited about life, those are going to be the best contributions you can make in your life. Rather than any of the 990 that you just go, ah, this is what the, our man here did. This kind of sucks. This is the doldrum of life. But you got to do what you got to do. Got to bite the bullet and do it. Okay, those are going to be mediocre contributions from you. Those aren't going to be your best. You're going to be your best when you're actually excited about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of these people that we currently are writing off will actually discover new ways of generating revenue for themselves. Uh, because they're because there's something that they and something that they become good at simply because they're excited about it. Maybe you can become a really good YouTube commenter. Is that a thing? That's not a thing. That can't be a thing. Yeah, that, is, <laughs> that is actually I know what you're talking about. So like I I do follow a lot of like and stuff. So I know that like if they have some surging companies would just go straight to them personally. Mm. Wow. Contact them personally. So then they can like advertise their products on their on their basically YouTube video. So that's pretty interesting to me too. To just like they would pay that person a certain amount, so then they can like basically sell their products. Now, would you agree to actually want to sell that product or not? It's up to you. Mm. So that's where the dilemma come like where you come like oh are you, am I do I really like this product or am I really selling it so I can make money off of it? You know, so that's another thing. But other than that, that, that would that's one way to make money. Yeah. See, it seems like so you were talking earlier about your transition from was it what did you transition from to nursing? Oh, I was going to do bio and then uh, to get into pre-med. So 
Uh, I transitioned from that to nursing. So it sounds to me what your transition was even hinged on your understanding that you enjoy being helpful, right? This is your, you have an intrinsic enjoyment of helping people and helping people directly. And so your choices hinged on that. Uh, And I think that's what's key is that people have to understand at a deep level what they themselves enjoy doing, what excites them about their life. Uh, And then anything that you, any choices that we make around those things, that's what you're going to be best at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You, you gotta love it. You gotta you gotta love living. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, America for all its for all its fame and glory. Uh, I know a lot of Americans, a lot of Americans that are not mm-hmm. enjoying living. They are not. They are yeah, full citizens, bad. and they say, "Ah, it kind of sucks." That's their their baseline for being in a full citizen in America, born here, and they say, "Ah, it kind of sucks." Um, now some, I have heard the argument that that's because we're spoiled, <laughs> which is a fair argument, which is a fair argument. I would love to hear uh, a little bit, but it's also personality preferences. You know, people are different. Like some people are harder to please than others. That's how I like to. Mm, mm. <laughs> that's yeah. true. That's true. No. Yeah. We're, you know, cause people complain about, people say, oh, immigrants are taking the jobs. I'm sure you've heard that phrase thrown around here there immigrants are taking the jobs when i hear that i think i don't want to pick strawberries right a lot of the immigrant jobs that are purely only immigrant jobs that i see here in southern california are farm workers i don't want to work on a farm mm-hmm. they're not taking my job i don't want to do that job mm-hmm. it doesn't pay well it's incredibly hard uh, and you know it's backbreaking, sunburning labor uh thank you to all the workers that do it right and, the, and they do it they do it well they do a good job and it's work that needs to be done it's very important work um mm-hmm. So I don't think they're taking any jobs. Yeah. And, and so that's that's to the that's to the spoil. Right. When people say Americans are spoiled, I take my share uh, of blame in that and that I'm a white collar laborer. Right. I'm not uh, 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 in the sun using your muscles, using your labor labor. Right. Well, at, the, at the same time, with the working other immigrants. So let's say that are working how much are they getting reimbursed for that work Mm. it doesn't pay well is it fair it doesn't pay well it's not really really either as well well i don't i don't know that it's not i don't know that it's not fair because fair is a very wide definition so i don't know that it's not fair when you look at it in terms of an agreement between employer and employee and employee as far as an offering for the work so i think it is fair if you look at it from the point of view of carlos the mexican farmer who has two kids uh, in rural mexico and he wants to provide for them better than he can in his hometown and he says i'm gonna go up to san diego and i'm gonna work on a farm for three times what i can make it any business here in my town and for him, it's a hard, arduous journey getting the visa and, and, of course, doing it legally. I'm only talking about legal legal work. So and getting and, you know, coming here and doing this work, maybe he's doing landscaping, but then he can send home twice as much as he could and live on a little bit more here. You know, for him, is it fair? Uh, you know, I think that's you know, what? yes, 
That's for him to decide. I can't argue. I don't I don't think the state of California can really argue. I don't think the federal government can argue. That's for him to decide. If he says, yes, this is a fair wage for me, then it is. Mm-hmm. Then it is. Now, on the contrary, if a Amazon warehouse worker says mm-hmm. you're tr- start recording. Uh, yeah, that was a <laughs> that was a, my computer just <laughs> randomly died. I just built this thing um, last no, month, no, middle of last month, happened. and randomly it dies uh it seems to be back up and running so i guess that's that's a good thing fingers crossed technical difficulties <laughs> uh yeah so i think think with the concept of of fairness uh, i think it's an important uh-huh. concept that has to be uh-huh. thought of and applied continuously so we always have to say it, we we always have to ask is this fair is this fair and if an employer and an employee agree voluntarily more times than not, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that that's fair. Uh, so speaking of mm-hmm. just specifically farm workers in the United States, is it fair? Of course, we know to the farm owners, it's very fair. We know their side. We already know their side, right? <laughs> they go, oh, yeah, it's fair. It's totally fair. Well, let's ask the farm workers. And uh, I'm for farm workers unions. I think farm workers need uh, bargaining power. Uh, so farm workers unions, I think we need more of that in order to continue to ask and push for this question mm-hmm. of fairness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, now you were talking, I think I am talking about different ways because you were talking about wages. Mm. The Uber situation. I'm, I guess I'm trying to leave the situation. I'm, I'm just trying to see what different perspective would be. Like, let's say maybe not in California. Mm. Majority of people have different in California. How we're just uh many many business so it, it's okay like the job never but like maybe let's say a different state or something like that like because mm. this is kind of like the rewarding side of driving out in state to see how it's like out. it's very different mm. like it's more rural you know so there are like people who uh their job is farming <laughs> mm-hmm. basically you know that's all they do and that is the only way they if uh, let's say Masanto, big company, right, mm. is able to hire many immigrants, right, mm. for much, much less of a profit. So they could probably compete better for the price as well because they can be able to you know, ask, collect uh, crops and stuff like that. And they already are a superpower uh, corporation as mm-hmm. well. Um, then like, let's say smaller farmer who probably can't get that type of or people who are trying to work for farms, they probably can't lose their job from that, or they can't compete as well too. Because, um, it would cost a lot more to collect plants mm. or crops. You know, mm. you kind of get my point because mm-hmm. they a little more higher because of so that that's kind of like the fairness. Like, is there really a balance in that? You know, so I don't know. It could be a little hard, a little bit tricky to uh, gravitate. No, that's a good concern. I like that concern. Uh, so I'm thinking in terms of fairness, like it's different. Yeah. In terms of fairness, then that would be. So if the people in the town who are farmers go to their mayor and say, Hey, uh, it's a global economy. And we here in freshwater Springs, uh, are now competing Mm -hmm. with huge, uh, huge, 
temporary labor farms in in Austin or in in the Dallas Fort Worth area for the same product for we, uh -huh. we both grow lettuce and we're both selling it to selling lettuce to New York and now we can't sell our lettuce to New York because there are these these huge temporary farms in Texas that we're competing with you know how do we how do we remedy this um, and I'm, I think that question is being asked and that question is being fought for uh, in terms of a solution for it. My blanket solution for for everything mm -hmm. is a basic income, <laughs> and what I'm arguing, what I'm thinking of is, <laughs> is so let's say those farm workers, because they're we're we're assuming citizens, American citizens, so it's time for America to elevate all of its citizens beyond selling themselves to the highest bidder, right? And so that's. And so if mm -hmm. those people in the American farm, let's say they love to grow lettuce, they really enjoy it, they're really doing a good job, then with a basic income, they wouldn't be as beholden, I don't think, to Monsanto. Now, Monsanto, being a, being a behemoth, we know that they're actually more powerful than the regulators. So I don't, I don't even, now I'm starting to not even bark up the tree of hoping that the regulators would get a hold of Monsanto. <laughs> they won't. They don't. They can't. Monsanto's international. They're bigger than you, uh -huh. right? They're 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 an, yeah. they're absolute giant. And so it's time for the American people to consolidate against Monsanto. Our government won't do it. Our government's bought and paid for. But we can do it. And so if these farm workers say, you know what, this international giant has decided that they've got cheaper labor down in Texas than we can provide here in Freshwater Springs, that's just it. And so now we're gonna sell our lettuce to the people in freshwater springs we're going to sell our lettuce to a neighboring town we're going to we're going to change our dy dynamic uh, and they need to be flexible enough to to do that uh, and then i would i would put emphasis on the mayor of freshwater and the governor of colorado uh, and the the people in that county in that area to themselves also push back against monsanto when monsanto tries to start selling lettuce from texas to them they say no 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 we're not buying your lettuce Monsanto, because you you should be having it. If you want to if you want to sell lettuce here, you pay for lettuce here, right? If you want to sell lettuce in Freshwater Springs, you pay the lettuce farmers in Freshwater Springs mm -hmm. to grow that lettuce. You don't ship us Texas lettuce. That's not how it works. And so it's time for us mm -hmm. to stand against these internationals as best as we can. I'm not holding out hope that that the feds are going to do it. I'm really not. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think so either. Um, so yeah, that. That's just what I was thinking, like, in general, like, it is, it is just, like, such a broad thing. Like, I, I can understand, like, it is definitely a lot cheaper to hire someone who's probably, uh, their income, they're different because mm -hmm. in a different, it's probably a lot lower standard of delivering mm -hmm. than here in the U.S. And, and, you know, unfortunately, we're hooked up in cheap stuff. I hate that it's true, you know, like food and stuff like that. We're well, I don't, I don't think it's, prices. I don't think it's unfortunate, though, because I think there's actually... A fortunate side yeah. to it. So I worked for a business Good. that um, that collected okay. medical records. Our job was to okay. call hospitals on behalf of patients that were applying for life insurance and get their medical records from from their various doctors. It was a decent enough job. And my boss mm -hmm. had a staff of maybe 18, 20 uh, people. So the Americans in an office because they were all local to the area. They just drove to work. So it was in this town. But he discovered that he could actually, since the job was entirely by phone and fax, he could hire three Filipinos 
for the same price as one American and have somebody work and have a shift uh, being worked for 24 hours because it was three different Filipinos that he was paying the one American for eight hours. So he had this huge boost in productivity by hiring, by outsourcing to Filipino call center workers. For him, this made business mm-hmm. sense. And the fortunate side that I'm talking about is the side of those Filipino call center workers. I'm excited for them. For them, this is an opportunity to enter into mm-hmm. the global economic stage more than their town provided at that at the previous moment. For them, it's exciting. They go, look, I can make phone calls for an American company because I speak enough English to do it. Uh, and so for them, they're able to raise their kids better and, and provide for their community better. I'm excited for that. And so this is... Yeah, yeah. This is the nature of a globalizing capital system. If there's somebody that's willing to do the work that I'm willing to do for less, anyone who's paying for that work will go to that cheaper person. If as long as they're doing some work that's of severe of of similar quality, that's their choice. Right. So this and so in this system, and I celebrate the system, I'm, I'm happy for the Vietnamese and the Chinese people and the Indians and the soon to be Africans, Mm -hmm. for all the people that don't have to charge as much as I do in order to live for an hour that now get an opportunity to participate in the global economy. I'm excited for that. I really, really truly am. This is how human beings will flourish. It is the time has come for Americans to go to the next stage of prosperity. We don't have to worry about base subsistence anymore. We don't have to worry about just doing what we need to do to get by anymore. We're past that. Our economy is past that. We can now we can now focus on personal, intellectual, artistic, familial, right? We can focus on being better brothers, being better mothers, being better siblings, being better parents, being better artists. We can we can focus on these deeply and importantly human aspects of development because our our economy has been lifted up so high. And that's what I'm calling for with the basic income. Really, I'm calling for that. I'm calling for to to free our attentions from having to find someone to buy it, right? Because that's the old paradigm. The old paradigm is let me find somebody who will buy my attention from me until I can grow or earn enough money until I own my own attention eventually. And then I don't have to sell myself. Uh, that's the old paradigm. That, that, that paradigm is done. The new paradigm is if you're an American, you're born with the ability to own your own attention from birth. And that's what I think is going to move us you forward. You think that's interesting. I like your idea. It's a really nice utopia. Um, but the thing I was also wondering is like, okay, uh, do you think America will be able to make global power? Do I think it America will be a what global power? Uh, will we be able to? Make... Oh gosh! Like be able to influence. I think the question you asked was, do I think America will be able to influence other countries to do the same as this? Yeah. Or um, do you think we'll lose power from like other bigger countries rising? Like, I think what I'm fearing is China going to be the Mm. next big global power Mm. and they might set the stones in the future because noticing a lot of things marketed towards them because their country is growing. They're they're getting rich, which is great. I don't mm, I don't think mm. it's a bad thing. It's just like I wonder if the comp to be able to our lifestyle. 
yes, you're wondering if if they will be able to copy or emulate or 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 if our lifestyles or if our cultures will just continue to come into conflict. Yeah, also that too. Okay. Um so I think that human beings will be the neurons of the next big thing that we're a part of. Whatever the whatever the thing is we're building, it's my current thinking mm-hmm. that human beings are going mm-hmm. to be the the nervous system, the central nervous system for this thing. And so I don't anticipate and maybe this is Pollyannish of me, maybe this is overly optimistic. Those critis those critiques can be lobbed at me. That's fine. I don't think we will actually go into hot war with China. I don't think we will. Uh, I, I hope I, I hope we won't go into hot war with Russia. I'm not as optimistic there uh, just because of the way we stand against each other. But I don't think we're going to go into hot war with China. Um, I think we I think we will and are in major um, call it intellectual war. <laughs> I think the intellectual war is in full full swing. Uh, and I think the the, oh, yeah. the technological oh. war is in full swing. And so the difference between a technological war and an uh, intellectual war and a hot war is in an intellectual and technological mm-hmm. war, it's your ideas that are poached and it's your profits that are poached. Oh, yeah. It's not your life. So I don't think I don't expect us to be going yeah. to take Chinese lives. I don't think Chinese lives are going to be coming for us. But when it comes to whose ideas and whose profits, those are being taken and they're being taken every day. And we're, we're engaged in that battle. So to your to the spirit yeah. of your question. Uh, yeah, that and, was what I was, that's what I was asking about economic global power, not nothing about war, more like just like be able to uh, kind of influence the world, I guess, mm-hmm. or be able to have a more saying power like taxes, regulations on like buying power, like the dollar, will it last in a certain uh, market later on? So that's like another thing I was wondering, you know, mm-hmm. if with, I like the idea of universal, great idea. I hope it does um get more regulated though that's the only thing they need to regulate it better i think the thing that our government is not very good at it is actually screen people and like be able to do math i think that's another thing they're Mm. not able to do checks and balance the books Mm. so if they can do that i would trust it more but as of now i'm just gonna wait on it I hear it. I hear it. So the role, the role that I see us and China playing possibly is if you imagine your brain, your brain has Mm -hmm. systems that are constantly innovating. Your brain has systems that make novel connections. This is their job. Their job is to say input A, output B. Oh, how about input A, output C? How about relationship to Z? How about they ask questions and they make these novel connections? And there's a whole section of your of your brain uh, system in your brain that's just dedicated to this type of work of making of coming up with new things. And then you have system in your brain specifically like the cerebellum that doesn't do that. It's really just about what are the rules? Okay, follow them. Boom, boom, boom. And make them better. This is how fighters become top level because a fighter when they're in the ring, they aren't thinking of throwing a punch. It's muscle memory. It's reaction, 
Right. And so this is how you can you have to in order to be a top level athlete, you have to have systems of your brain that aren't innovative and thinking and, and that just kind of follow the rules as they are and are and follow them efficiently and and more importantly. So when it comes to mm-hmm. the next thing that we will build, I think there will be space for Chinese thought in terms of what are the things that work? OK, let's run them and let's do them. Let's run them efficiently. And there will be space for American thought in terms of what will be the new things that work. What are the ways that the things that that are popular aren't the best and how do we innovate? Uh, And I think that there will be space for both economically going forward. Uh, I don't see us wiping China out. I don't see China wiping us out in terms of in terms of power. I'm perfectly fine with America no longer being the center of the world's Mm -hmm. focus. Right. There was a time when it was Rome. There was a time when it was the uh, Turks. There was a time when it was the Italians. There was times when it was the Greeks. That's fine. There was a time when it was the Americans. Let it go to China. Uh, I'm not opposed to that. Uh, I don't think we need to continue to command as much of the world's attention as we have for the past century. Uh, That's that's not objectionable to me. What is objectionable to me is the idea that the American common class will be allowed to continue to compete for simply to eat and shelve ourselves with the upcoming common classes. That's what I'm against. I'm against allowing the American common to experience what we experienced in the in the 1950s and then be told, OK, now you're actually going to go to the same type of subsistence competition as the Vietnamese people who are willing to work for a third of your pay. That's not fair. That's not fair. What are you doing? Right. What are you doing as, as a government, as a nation, as a culture? Can't we think higher? Why do we have to just go, OK, this we've, we've peaked and now the common class are going to be left behind? Um, so that's that's what I think about our power. Will our power, will the world's economic power in the center of the world's economic economic engine go to China? Possibly. Probably. Um, I'm not trying to stand on the tracks of that train. <laughs> yeah, if that's if that's a train coming through, I'm not on those tracks. I'm thinking somewhere else. What do you think? It's a lot more complicated. Oh no, I'm just universal would be a lot better. If they can't relate it better, certain people should be getting it. Mm, mm. (laughs) Yeah, and also. Well, a basic income, a basic income would be might possibly be uniquely conducive to a society that values innovation because a basic income is a basic income actually promotes not staying in line. A basic income promotes getting out of line, right? Mm -hmm. It promotes pushing back. And so it promotes kind of anarchy. Uh, And so anarchy has a bad tone and back because anarchy when people think of anarchy they think of throwing bricks through starbucks windows right so that's not what i'm talking about when i say anarchy when i'm talking about anarchy i'm just talking about individuals being able to color outside of the lines behaviorally just being able to behave in a way as long as it's civil that is to say it's not harming other people physically and as long as it's lawful that is to say it's not violating any of the laws that are on the books do whatever you want Wear crazy clothes and go talk to other people that wear crazy clothes. Go be wild. Go be whatever. Go be innovative. Don't do a nine to five. Go do something else. Go do something interesting. Go make something interesting. Go read interesting things. Go click buttons. Go play games. This is what I'm promoting 
for America mm-hmm. and a basic income is in line with this thinking. Now, would mm-hmm. Xi Jinping implement a basic income in China? Probably not. <laughs> a basic income would no, be antithetical to people following the orders of the party. Um, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to give them. So so a basic income would we I think we could set a model for other countries that would want to emulate emulate what we do. Uh, and I think it's in line with our ethos as a country of being individuals standing strong with liberty and freedom. Um, yeah. And so that's where I think it falls into our interplay with China is that China isn't following our lead. China's doing what they're doing. Uh, Russia isn't following our lead. Russia is doing what they're doing. But other countries, well, plenty of other countries are looking at us, China and Russia to say, hey, who do we follow? Who's got the best model? And I think that our model of being innovative and our model of encouraging individuals to be free to pursue your interest, I think in the long run, that will ultimately be the ultra power. That will be the ultra power because, you know, if you if you're trying to influence uh, a teenager, you can just tell them what to do. You can say, stay in your room and read your books or you can throw a party with other teenagers. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to the party. Right? So the more party like we make America, the more other countries will want to to be like us as long as we can have a party that doesn't blow itself up, which is its own experiment. <laughs> I hope so. It's a it's a very new world out there for sure. <laughs> Just listening to us is kind of like wow, astonishing. Uh this is where we became now. So it's a it's a different world. I'm I guess maybe I'm a little more conservative, so it's a little different for me to grasp this idea because, um, you know, it's just like what we have already. It's mm. like I, I wonder some, like the people who are in higher corporate, you know, having big businesses, they're able to move their business out to the the supplies back home and then sell it here. So I was just like wondering, I'm just grasping, what if one day they just decided like, oh, we don't want to deal with this BS or something like that to them, you know? So I'm just wondering, like, what if they just decide, oh, we're just gonna leave America altogether. We're just gonna go somewhere else. Where's more friend, like business? You know what I mean? Well, I they, don't know if they I'm will. making any sense. No, no, no. You're making yeah. total sense. You're making total sense. And yeah. they will leave America. Uh, they will. Yeah. They will at a certain scale go. Okay, well, I'm. The, it's too expensive to operate in the U.S. because they collect yeah. VAT and they collect uh, VAT. Uh, you know, transaction tax. And I don't like paying the extra hundred K I have to pay a year to be based in America. So what they're going to do is they're going to base themselves in one of these Bahama, Bahamanian uh, five story buildings that houses 20,000 businesses, right? <laughs> Where that's their corporate headquarters yeah, are yeah. in the Bahamas, but all their buildings and all their businesses here. And so they'll leave, they'll, they'll avoid the taxes, of course. But the reason why America will continue to thrive, even if they leave, ostensibly leave, let them all leave. The reason why we will continue to thrive is because it's the American people that give this culture its weight and its and its ingenuity and its prosperity. It's not the businesses. Uh, I think it's I think it's. I think it's a, a, a an idea that has been. Handed to us that seems reason it's a reasonable idea well what if the businesses leave right this is the question you ask and it's a question people plenty of people ask what if they leave i say what if they you know what if they stay do we just have more of the status quo if they leave 
will create others, right? Google just came into existence, if you think about it. Twitter, Facebook, mm -hmm. those things just appeared on the scene. You think they will be the last American innovation? They won't, unless we allow them to be the last American innovation. What makes America great is exactly that we innovate. And so as long as we set up a framework that supports innovation, we will build the next better Google. We will build the next better SpaceX, right? There's a reason why Elon Musk, uh, who I think is one of the, the greatest humans walking, there's yeah. a reason why he came to America is because we have so much freedom, so much innovation. He was drawn to come here. He's actually South African. And so if oh, wow. South African had, if South Africa had a more vibrant economy, he would have just stayed there. But he came here because he wanted to be here because of the spirit of our nation. So I think basic income keeps the spirit of our nation up such that companies can leave they can move their headquarters they can move out of america because they don't want to pay the taxes that's fine mm -hmm. we will still be the center of inspiring life inspiring innovation and we will be the source of new businesses and so i think that we will be stronger in the long run if we can shed those businesses kind of like a snake sheds its skin so it can grow and be better so I don't I don't see businesses leaving us because they don't want to pay taxes as necessarily that bad of a thing. That's just a stage in our evolution, I would argue. I see. Uh, yeah, I hope you're right on this. <laughs> I'm just going to continue uh, uh, doing what I can do. But uh, <laughs> as of in the future, no, honestly, I, I really I'm just going to do maybe because I'm set in my own ways. Maybe I'm stubborn. Who knows? No, 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 no. I'm, I just so don't know. I'm a yeah, maybe. I'm a dreamer, yeah. right? I, I dream and I argue, but I'm not persu I'm not trying to persuade you in any way. No, 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 I know. I I know. I understand. I understand absolutely. It's great to hear your ideas. It's just maybe I'm just thinking in my own head. I'm mm. just like like I guess the fear is real, but just the thought of it. Like I think it's just this new world is so different. It's thought of that. It's a little bit overwhelming because I'm trying to figure out the puzzles. Like I'm trying to think of the realistic side of it, you know. Mm -hmm. We can't always just dream, see like how how does it play out? You know, we could dream as long as we know how to, I guess, plan it out better, structure it out better. How's this gonna work? We kind of have to see like so many um, aspects of the puzzle, you know. Like, well, how's this gonna affect us? Is, is this other way? What's the bad side of this? You know, I feel like maybe with the big changes. At the same time, I feel like a lot of other people are going to suffer as well with the big change. Like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, the current people, um, especially, like, people who are older, who don't go to college and already, like, you know, live, uh, work, like, their jobs, their income that they're, you know, they're, they need is actually just based what they do already. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, manufacturing or laborish jobs. It's going to go away. That's what I'm starting to see in the future because of automation as well. Mm -hmm. Automations are coming in too. So, and with all that, I just think it's it's like they used to have buying power. Like these families who used to be able to work in manufacturing, they used to have buying power, and then they lost a lot of that buying power because of it. I, I think universal helpful with that, but then at the same time, really help them if like they have mouths to feed like kids and say that. For instance, I agree. I agree and understand. Yeah. And I think yeah. that I think that in order for them to get their buying power back, we have yeah. to go forward. Right. And we can't I don't think we I don't think we're yeah. going to go back to 
what it was in 1970, 1960, 1950. I don't think we're going to be able to go yeah. back to that time and restore what was in terms of the American middle class benefiting from a bunch of different other factors that happened to coalesce simultaneously on one class that could have one income and two cars in the garage and two kids in college. There was a host of factors. We just won the war. We had all the surplus uh, technological energy and manufacturing capacity. There were a whole host of factors that made that possible. And it was a beautiful thing. Uh, but I don't think yeah, that we're going to be able to go backwards to to recapture these people's buying powers. Mm -hmm. I do think we can go forward to recapture their buying power. So imagining okay. a imagining a worker who is a soon to be retired accountant um, or something something manual um, soon to be retired carpenter that makes you know buildings. Let's say he's a foreman for a construction company. Um, and he's going to retire soon. And he's seen the cost of living go up such that he and his company has become international. So he's kind of expendable and he's got a lot of labor around him that's being imported, that's undercutting his wages. But this is where he is. And he's, yeah. he's felt his buying, buying power decrease for him, mm -hmm. a basic income combined with a resurgence in emphasis on local economies means that in his town of let's say 17,000 currently uh the income at that in that that economy for just that town is going to be let's say I don't know what it would be 17,000 some number whatever the number x is after a basic income that's going to be an extra 17 million dollars that goes into that local economy every month so for him, he's going to for him, for his company, not paying him as well, and his pension not being what it was will be much, much less important will be the sting from that will be reduced, almost completely nullified by the fact that his local economy will now have so much opportunity. He'll be able to knock on his neighbor's door and say, you want me to repair that overhang for you? I'm a carpenter. You want? And he'll be able to go to the businesses downtown and say, hey, you want an awning? You want a patio? You want me to build you a patio? I, we can, I can do that. He can, he can, the economies in small towns will boom so much where when the big businesses go, oh, but we aren't welcome anymore. You aren't welcome. <laughs> if you go to a lot of the... Uh, if you go to yeah. a lot of the really wealthy neighborhoods here in Southern California, you don't see a lot of chains. Yeah. You don't see McDonald's's. You don't see a lot of Starbucks. You see, you don't see a lot of uh, Lowe's and Walmart's. Uh, they put in local furniture stores, local coffee shops. They support their local business and they know intrinsically, they know how important local business is. And that's what a basic income would do for these people who have lost their buying power. Cause they, they would, their buying power has been lost because of the globalization of capitalism. Now I'm not, and I don't point fingers. Nobody's being malicious, mm -hmm. right? There's no Mr. Burns twiddling his fingers mm -hmm. up in the mm -hmm. executive lobby saying, Oh, crush the poor people. That's not what's happening. What's happening is that yeah. capitalism's going around the world. Uh, and there is cheaper labor to be had in most of the world than America. That's just a fact of it. And so what a basic yeah. income would do for this person is it would reestablish their social power, and it would re I think it would reestablish the the buying power of the whole town simultaneously mm -hmm. such that the towns would thrive and wouldn't be as dependent on these international businesses. And I think that would be the counterbalance mm -hmm. to to 
what's been happening. And that will be a way of restoring their power in a new way, as opposed to trying to go backwards to get the business business to appreciate them. Because big businesses used to appreciate their workers. They don't anymore. And I don't think we're going back there. I hope so. You're right. <laughs> no, but I appreciate I so it was something that, that I thought of as you were saying that, you know, hey, uh-huh. you feel like this is too fast. Have you ever heard of the black ball problem? The black ball? Yeah. yeah I haven't heard that. So this is a it's a technolo- technological uh, mind experiment. And it says, OK, let's imagine every new technology as pulling a ball out of a bag. And let's say most of the balls in this bag are white or gray and that that means we discover the technology and we pull it out and the and the color is a measure of danger if it's white it's not dangerous and it, as it gets darker and darker gray it gets more and more dangerous and as we pull them out most of them are white or gray they're fine but there's a chance that there's a black ball in this bag and merely pulling the ball out will mean the end of our species so if you if you reach into this bag and you discover a technology that allows people to make bioweapons in their kitchen of their apartment, that's the end of our species. Just just discovering the technology would end us. And so that's a real concern. And it sounds like you were hinting towards that concern. Uh, do, you, do you think that's am I, am I off? Is that true? Is that close? What do you think? Uh, there's a bunch of concerns in life, I think, hmm. in general just seeing like people uh, uh i don't know i think with the whole change i think i'm just trying to like just i just want to make sure that maybe if we were to get there like let's get there slowly and like reevaluate each time mm. just to make sure that we're doing the right thing like mm. for everyone you know because we we don't want to do it too extreme to the point where certain people are going to be left out of that market you know, or um, or something more extreme is going to happen. I feel like we always have to reevaluate as well. Like, mm. well, did we did a good job? Did we not did a good job? Like, what are we missing out? Like, what, what's the loophole that we're not seeing? You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's just mm-hmm. good to see everything. Yeah. But I think it's a great idea if it can be enforced. Like, I, I remember I forgot who I was researching on, like, papers, but he was thinking about, like, the future is technology is going to work for like you don't even have to work anymore. Like it's going to be automated, mm. like robotic. It's going to be serving when people don't have to work any longer. Mm. And I was like, that's a crazy idea. I've never thought about that. Like mm. that's just such a like a very unrealistic idea, but it could be possible. And then I'm I'm also thinking like, what's the purpose of humans at that point besides just creating? See, you know? I would like, want to I would want to draw a distinction. So yeah. AI and machines will come along. And it will eliminate the necessity for human beings to do undesirable work. Human beings will still yeah. do desirable work. And there's a lot of desirable work being done. Which, and that's an important distinction to draw. Yeah, which is the creative part. Let's say like... Not just creative. What you do is so important. Creative. Machines will never <laughs> heal people. Machines will never so. hold your hold your hand while you're after a surgery. Oh, no. Machines will never look you in your eyes and tell you that you're going to survive. <laughs> machines won't do that. Machines can't do that. So machines won't replace us. They will just enable us to be more human. Oh, yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting feature. That's all I can say. Like, I, I remember reading. And I thought it was... Um, it's an interesting idea. I just mm. hope we can get like enforced. 
I don't know. It sounds like your it sounds like your your knee jerk is actually against it. It sounds like your knee jerk is no no, no 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 I'm not I'm not I'm not against it. I'm mm. just trying to like because I'm kind of a realist mm. in in my in my opinion. That's how how I feel. Like I I'm kind of a realist at the same. Like, I'm trying to figure out like like if I were to plan on doing I want to the cons the pros what am I not seeing that mm. it's gonna affect you know a situation like I. I want to see all of it, everything. I want to have like a big idea and like actually see the details of each idea and see what are the flaws that could happen in the situation. That's kind of what I'm and how are you going to enforce it properly mm -hmm. too? We're only human. We do make errors as well. That's another thing. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think is the, what do you think is the next best step that we could take as a, as a country and as a culture, just practically speaking? Practically speaking, mm -hmm. uh, I think we need to re-educate our system. I think education is like the first step, number mm. one. I think where our education system has been lacking for the fact that like, um, I've noticed that in high school, a lot of people don't know what they want to do in life. Mm. You know, that's like one thing I've noticed. They don't know what they want to do in life. They're not exposed to real world um, experiences or how the real world works. You know, you're just... You're, you're taught to study and that's all you do. I know, I think studying, it's really, really important math and all that stuff because that's how you progress. As but then at the same time, like application, real world workplace, you know, mm. people. So, so then we get caught up with we're major majors that like when college, we start, don't always help us, you know, mm. and it's kind of sad. I wish we aren't in the situation where people can you know, not have to take as loan schooling, be able to just make sure that we have a job afterwards. It would be, but I think that's the first place where we should focus on, like maybe figuring out what is the need of the market and maybe try to apply it in high school early on. So the kids kind of can have like a better exposure to their passion. Maybe they don't even have to, it, it could be anything. It could be like going to a doctor, to you know, lawyers, engineers, uh, software design, I don't know, like even a YouTuber or whatever it is, mm. you know, like letting them see the world because that is where the lack of of application is. And that's why when a lot of people at high school go to college, we don't know what we really want to do. You know, some people are lucky enough to know what they want to do right away in mm. life. That, but then some of us were just like kind of dwelling around, kind of like trying to figure ourselves out, you know, and then sometimes we take unnecessary loans because it's not cheap to go to college. You know that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it is like it's 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 a big burden on people and then there's there's people who end up just getting majors and then end up not doing what they love in the end mm. it's, it's sad yeah you get, i think that's where it needs to start i think our education change a little bit better um i think we need to influence more creativity maybe entrepreneurship like maybe teach more business like how do you start a business like i don't think a lot of people know how to do that either that way in the future once the minds the great minds people start to exit that they are going to they're going to like think and i love technology that's where we need to start to get forward and i hope that makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah that makes sense um were you for the loan forgiveness idea that joe biden just shot down what he shot that down last i heard why oh my lord uh i i think i'm for it as, yeah, I think I'm for it because it's 
it's not right. You know, education's education is very important like people in life, you know? Like it's it's the only thing that's step it's like a stepping stone for people to get out of their poverty, whether they're in like, you know, a first generation class. And let's say that I think it's extremely as long as they pass their college, you know, as long as they pass and actually get a degree that actually is useful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I think it's important for people to to uh, get, get forgiven so that way they can have a fresh start and loans back. I'm thinking these days that actually the most important learning is done outside of the university. So I'm not a I I went to university. Uh I love university. It was a good experience. But the Mm -hmm. best. So I think it's important for the for the university experience. The the, what I got out of it was Mm -hmm. good because I was pursuing my interest. I didn't go to school to learn a skill that would get me a job. And when I've heard mm-hmm. of people who's who's um it's actually double edged. So I've heard of I heard a story from a guy this I was giving a guy a ride this time in Uber and I was telling him that I was learning coding and I'd gone to school for bio but I wasn't using it, using it. And he said Look, I've got a daughter who has a master's degree in sociology. Uh, she's making 60K a year, working herself, working her fingers to the bone for some nonprofit. Meanwhile, I've got a son who has a BS in computer science. He's changed companies every two years and now and he's quadrupled his money in the first what four years of being uh he he makes 100k or something at four years out of college so Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's and his recommendation was to go to school for computer science but the thing is that's really the only field that i've seen recently where that works pretty much every other field if you get a degree in it you shouldn't expect to earn uh, a return on that investment so the only field where that works as College is an investment, and then you're going to get a return on that investment through a job. Is computer science that mm-hmm. that's the only field I've seen where that works. Every other field mm-hmm. needs to be pursued purely for interest. Differently, right? If you're going to do, you know, medicine, do it because you love medicine, and then you'll then you'll be rewarded because yeah. you wanted to learn it. Yeah. You know, don't go do. Um, engineering if you don't want to be an engineer if you go oh well i think this is going to make me a bunch of money i don't think that's going to be rewarding to you you know maybe you will get the engineer job maybe you won't um you know the most important thing inside or outside of university which much can be learned outside of university is that you individuals are pursuing whatever they want to pursue Uh, i think that's how we get the best out of people that's i think that's how we get the best out of young people um, mm-hmm. And that's that's ultimately what I'm for, right? I'm for people pursuing their interests inside the university, outside the university, whichever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do it, do what you want. Do what makes you feel good. Do what makes you happy. Yeah, I, I agree on that. It's just, um, I guess my problem is like a lot of people are just pursuing, not knowing what they're pursuing, and then realizing they got a lot of loans for that. You know? the, I'm totally against said, the like, loans. I'm totally against the loans. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that's kind of like the reason why I wish that it was where we are exposing our children a lot earlier in high school, where school is free, like maybe letting them shadow, you know what I mean? Hmm. Making it enforcing where shadowing is uh, allowing them to shadow their interests. Maybe each each week they shadow something that they are interested in, you know, hmm. so then they can like kind of like have a more a better idea, like what they're going to have to deal with in the future. You know? Well, 
you know, so then and also allow them to build that interest up because a lot a lot of students who they don't know what they're in. They mm-hmm. don't know because they have no idea they got exploded. Mm. Real life situations, never job, you know, and some people are smart enough to, you know, navigate through life with that. And there's some people who like kind of need more guidance on that, you know, some if they're lucky enough, they have like uh, those, the meet role models, show them the way but while others are not lucky enough to have that. And I feel like that's also contributing to a lot of the issue as well like anxiety depression as well because they feel like they haven't achieved anything in life what was the what was the difference maker for you so in your in your uh, transition from med to nursing what was the uh, difference maker that allowed you to exercise that freedom that you think would be important to be in place for anybody else who wanted to exercise that freedom uh to know what they want to do in life Mm, i think for me i I, I knew the. I think it's kind of like self-discovery, but I'm just that type of person who, who's able to know myself, you know, and self-reflect mm. and do more research on my own, you know, like I'm very self, what you call it, um, I'm self-driven and I'm self-motivated, but I, I have brother, you know, like I love, love him to death. I love him very, very much stuff, but I don't think he knows what he wants to do in life. And mm. now he's just taking like jobs and jobs and jobs. And then he just doesn't feel passionate about them. Like to me, I just feel bad for like, people like that i guess i do because I, I feel like they they have so much capabilities in mm-hmm. them and i try to encourage them but then I, they don't know what they really want to do and like like a part of it maybe it's self-motivation um but i feel like maybe if they were influenced earlier in life maybe in high school well, to be able to see what's out there they can something that can spark them right away whatever it could be like i said it could even be like them shadowing a youtuber around or like shadowing creative people or animating whatever it could be you know um giving them that opportunity to just see what it is like in the world and like they're a passion a joy of work, mm. uh could also like give them some ideas hey i like that but i'm going to do a little bit more differently you know in the future maybe i'll innovate a little bit more like that's where it has to have you have to have like a foundation of an interest as well you know so like that's why i don't like the whole system where i think we need to change from high school mm. maybe allow more shadowing opportunities in high school just so then they can see the world in a different way hmm. instead of just textbook 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 hmm. you know alone like more applicate applicably i agree i agree um yeah i think the the formative years are so important and actually it reminds me of a of a study that i saw um years ago i should actually say listen to it i heard it on the radio it was npr so it was where they followed some elementary school students between the beginning of the school year to the end of the school year. And then they followed them from the beginning of summer to the end of summer. And they had broke the students into three classes. There was a a poor group, a middle income group and a wealthy group or middle net worth group and a wealthy group. And so over the course of the beginning to the school year and the end of the school year, the educational games gains for all three economic groups of kids were approximately the same. They were a little bit higher for each class, but they were approximately the same. Then, surprisingly, over the course of the summer, the wealthy kids exhibited educational gains, profound educational gains. The middle wealth kids Mm exhibited small to non-existent, but maybe small educational gains, whereas the poor kids exhibited an educational loss 
They unlearn things over summer that they had learned during the school year. And so the big difference maker in terms of long-term educational outcomes is the home environment. That's what makes the difference. What are these kids oh, yeah. going home to, right? And so in thinking about thinking about high school, uh, I'm all for the, you know, the high schools providing a rich, varied curriculum. Uh, and I'm even more for opportunities outside of the class. And that's something that I think we can take advantage of this new age of information and use it to our advantage. We can tell our high school kids, look, you're in high school, do what you need to do, get your grades class. You know, you need to learn algebra in order to flex your brain up to, up to a certain level. You need to learn trigonometry, right? Maybe even calc, right? You need to, you need to learn these things in order to be able to, to use your brain. But then when you're outside of class, you need to be building drones. You need to be social networking. Right. You need to be not not just partying. That's not just I'm talking about doing things in other states, doing things in other cities. Right. Doing things at the college campus. Do something. You have to be enriching yourself in your and and growing your interest outside of the classroom. And that's so important. Uh, one of my favorite thinkers, Jordan Peterson, he talks about that a lot. And he's actually talking about adults. He says, if you're an adult, it's not good enough to just work your day job. You have to work your day job mm -hmm. and outside of your day job, be doing enriching endeavors, personally enriching endeavors. Uh, and that's how you continue your development. Uh, and, I, I, and I would think the same for high school kids. Um, do you think there's a do you think these are policy solutions or are we talking about just social cultural solutions do you think that the state plays a role in implementing these changes or is this just something that we need to just talk about and encourage people to do i feel like if you tell them to do it will be hmm. like that's where it'll, it's lack i guess that we can get L and man other companies big or whatever any any type of business field to get more involved with the future you know hmm. that's kind of like the the most important is i feel like if you just tell them to do it it's gonna be some kids they're not motivated to do it but hmm. if you can try to enforce it maybe there's something that can spark them to actually uh get interested in into like their the real real economy basically the real world and maybe get them very interested want to be a part of it. so and also maybe this could also allow businesses and corporation i guess see the the problems as well like with students because a lot of times i hear like people like oh these new grads they don't know what they're doing you know that's like another thing mm. job opportunity. they don't know what they're doing so, so it's kind of like sad too oh they don't know what they're doing because they never had a job experience in their life mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. they just went to straight to school and they never had got like a job experience they don't know how to uh, social uh, socialize with people uh, they don't know how to like do certain or, um, relevant to work it's so crazy so many applications life. today ask for experience out of college how would i have experience <laughs> give me the experience exactly. how would i have experience exactly. exactly like you don't need to get paid for it. i feel like if we can force that well then that way they can get more involved in in like kind of like teaching their own knowledge of the workplace maybe like like an example i would say like nurses like if you mm. want to, maybe you can shadow student in shadow uh, uh i know people will say oh if you want to be a nurse you should just apply to cna but nobody finds their passion in nursing until way later and that's like mm. really lost it's like a loss 
Mm. You know, it's a loss of time if you do realize it later. When we could totally progress when they're younger. And well, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I switched careers at 33, uh, and it was a good move in hindsight. It was scary when I did it. <laughs> it was scary when I did it. It was a good move in hindsight. And actually, I just learned about an actor named Lance Reddick. I mean, I know of Lance Reddick. I've known him for years, but I just learned his trajectory. And so what happened was he was a husband and father uh, doing work into his, I think he was in his late 30s. Uh, mm-hmm. and he injured his back and he was laid up and he said, okay. man, uh, if I'm going to be doing manual labor and my body gives out, I won't be able to provide for my kids. Uh, so it, it was a waking up moment for him. And he said, well, I did a little acting in college. Maybe I can do That's some nice. acting. And so he went and applied mm-hmm. for acting and now he's one of the, one of the most successful mm-hmm. actors on TV and film. Uh, and that just shows that if you keep that curious, hardworking, innovative spirit alive. Um, mm-hmm. It's really never, it's really never too late. It's really never too late to be what you might've been. Yeah, true, true. That's true. a quote. I stole that quote just to make sure I'm not, I'm not taking credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's a good quote to share uh, to people. Uh, and yeah, some part of it could be influenced environment. Raised. But then, even then, I feel like, I don't know how to, like, I have, like I told you, I'm like my brother, I mm. love him to death. But then I'm trying to figure out, how do I motivate you to find your passion, mm. do whatever you're doing? It seems so difficult. And I, I, I try to figure out, like, would have been better if he was able to, like, see somebody in a field that he might like? Mm. Like, I felt like that's kind of like, the, you know, like. That I, matters. Rubbing elbows matters. Yeah. Yeah, so I was thinking, like, oh, my God, maybe that's what the younger generation in high school need. Mm. Need that extra exposure to actually find their passion in life and, like, maybe some interests that they like. And they're not going to go out and themselves. Like, some people just don't do that unless you're self-motivated naturally, you know. Mm. But then there's some people, they, they're they very connected to their life. They, they're not going to go searching if it's not force upon them force that directly where they can actually go do that then it them i guess i guess get them ready for the basically i i would or get ready for the and there's actually a positive feedback loop there where the the 18 year old or actually let's draw it back even further the 16 year old who is a little bit curious about how to move in the world will seek mm-hmm. out that one extra interaction, right? They'll, they'll come back to school at 4.30 when all the other kids are gone and they will come back and they, which on their own recognizance, will ask their history teacher, hey, is da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da the same as da-da-da? They will just come back and ask a question on their own and their teacher will talk to them for an extra few minutes and that extra interaction will be meaningful for them. And then when they're 18, they will go to office hours with their professors much more often than the ones that didn't do it at 16. And by going to office hours, they've now been exposed to the thinking to answer the questions more readily. And they see how their professor behaves and they do better in class. And then by doing better, they get better internships. And then they use that same entrepreneurial investigation and their internships, which are decent positions. And they ask industry leaders, the same type of questions that they got to ask an undergraduate. And so Mm -hmm. there's this, positive feedback loop of of success that comes mm-hmm. back onto people who are just willing to 
take the extra step. And so I think mm-hmm. I think where me and you might agree on this is that we really want to encourage young people mm-hmm. to find mm-hmm. that lane, find that industry mm-hmm. that causes you to, to be extra, that causes you to do a little bit more than you otherwise would, because that's where you're going to be your best is the is mm-hmm. in that realm where you're willing to give more of yourself than you otherwise would. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think we both answer each other's questions. I think that's where we got to start. <laughs> well, that's why we got along, that. right? We we got along so well. Yeah. <laughs> don't yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm glad because this is, I feel like that's where we need to start. And that's like the easiest like um, policy that you can push for. Like, cause it doesn't take a lot of taxes. I, I would assume so. I hope not. But like, I would think that that would be a great way to start to motivate the generation to think a little different, you know? And instead of just throwing the kids in, just books 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 curriculum and that's mm, it and mm. then like only like the strong survive and then the weak they don't know what they do mm, i don't want to say they're mm. weak but it's just because they haven't found found that interest or that passion on on themselves but as a educator you need to be able to influence your kids in some way we used to be able to like talk you know about ideas but ideas are lacking days you know so if unless you're able to like motivate a kid maybe throw them into some sort of like real life situation where they can be shadow work or something that they would probably have motivation and know what path they want to do in life and early on in life at least at least that's just what i think (laughs) i'm totally with you i'm totally with you i think that so the the, and to the tax question there's no there's no tax burden there because all these systems are already in place there's no new systems to put in place exactly um so there's no i think where we can expand the opportunity for people that are maybe a little bit more introverted in the mm-hmm. in the yep. sphere of economics that we currently celebrate is by expanding that sphere into the digital. This is something that makes me excited about video games. So my chosen career path at this <laughs> point is video games and digital media and and I really like this That's space. Cool. I like this space because mm-hmm. it allows people who maybe they don't want to try to talk to their physical neighbors maybe that's not their mm-hmm. gift right but they have but they have yeah. this talent for chatting online communicating online they have good friends who turn out to be on the other side of the world <laughs> and these are the people that they get along with the absolute best through chat and this is what they like uh-huh. this they like to be and on and when they're, when they're online they're this vibrant mm-hmm. personality which is different than what they are in person, right? So we have an economy Uh currently that celebrates vibrant in-person personalities. And and I think that those type of personalities are probably always going to be celebrated, to be absolutely honest. But what we can do Mm -hmm. is we can create uh, another part of our economy that celebrates online personalities, people who like to game they like to stream uh they go in as avatars and they like to mess around in the world and, and do digital they, they really like this kind of second life you know minecraft uh vr chat type of world and they thrive there uh, you know the, that's cool nothing's wrong with that right do that uh and i think we need to promote more more literacy uh i don't hear a lot about book clubs being a thing that people are encouraged to do as a primary endeavor right uh-huh. just being so I'm, I'm a member of a book club and it's it's an important part of my life and i just don't hear that promoted And i think high schoolers should be in book clubs and just have your own personal book club you should be in book clubs with other people and now online 
You can be in book clubs with anyone. So Oprah's book club, Andrew Yang's book club. You can join any a number of online book clubs. There are so many of them online. There are tons and tons. Uh, that's an important way to or, or a very good way to have this interaction with something that you're just interested in. And in reading, you're very likely to find other interests. I was actually a computer science engineer, undergrad, and the computer science major, undergrad. And then I discovered Sam Harris. I read The End of Faith, and then I switched to neuroscience because mm -hmm. of reading that book. Uh, and then, has another book really changed my mind? I guess the most, most profound book I've had recently <laughs> has been um, a book called Democracy in Chains by Nancy McLean. So that actually inspired me to do this podcast because I discovered that um, there's an idea in our culture of liberty, a definition of liberty, which is those with power and resource should not have to give any of that power or resource away simply because the masses want it, simply because the masses want to increase taxes on the wealthy. There should be no reason. There's, they should not be allowed to increase taxes on the wealthy. And this is a popular definition of liberty. And I said, whoa, 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 right? I got to speak up. <laughs> That's not liberty. That's tyranny. That's tyranny. Saying, saying to the multi-billionaires that there's nothing that the common in a nation can do to tax on that wealth, and that's unfair to you? No, no, no. That's tyranny by you, right? You don't get to starve us because you've collected a bunch of money. That's not how it works. Uh, and so that book made a profound impact on me. And, I, you know, that's just some, something introverts can do. Uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's, in, in, you know, j just a few things that we can do to encourage people to have other ladders to climb that aren't the traditional inherited ladders right i don't believe in this one size fits all type of celebration in a culture we need to celebrate all types mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty cool i like your ideas those are very do you very consider yourself <laughs> intro or extroverted or or 60 40 or 70 30 i don't know honestly i'm a little mixed both i want to i want to say that mm. there are days when i feel like um i feel like i'm extroverted to a certain amount until i get really really tired and i kind of need to have my own space rethink refuel mm. if that makes sense <laughs> yeah that's how i feel like um so i'm a little bit of both it's just depending like how much do i have to uh how much work do i have to do talk <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. What would you say is so as someone who who grew up in an immigrant family, but then you are you're as as American as, as sliced bread. What would you say mm -hmm. for people, I guess, in my position who, you know, born here? I only know here. I've spent my entire life here. I'm I'm well within the American bubble. Uh, what would you what would you say to Americans that are trapped in the bubble so that they can maybe see outside of it? What would I say? Okay. Um, well, I'm gonna say really the most important thing my mom taught me: spend your money wisely, save a lot of money. Mm. I think that's like the most important thing because <laughs> we want to say that money's not that it really is like don't buy things that you don't need um because that money that you could have used you could have totally invested in something business business mm. small business 
or maybe your education or mm. something that will bring more profit back to your life. I think you taught me to be very extra because when you get down on a rainy day and then you don't have it, spending your credit card and putting it in debt is just not the way to get yourself out of a situation or reduce your stress either. Yeah. Mm. So mm. that's what I would say. Yeah. Really think about how you spend your money. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's right on point. Uh, the standard American financial practices are probably subpar to an embarrassing degree. Um, I've actually just le really learned financial literacy in the past in the last year since since this since the pandemic hit. That's really what kicked it for me. Um, well, that's good. I was you know I've 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 not been financially irresponsible. Uh, you know, I haven't run uh -huh. crazy debt. I'm not crazy in debt. I think I've got maybe 18, 30K in debt. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not crazy. You know, it's undergrad plus a, plus a personal loan. It's And my car is paid off. And so, it's you know, I'm not extreme with it. But I was never positive, right? I was never trying to really work to get my net worth in the black. Uh, I was just kind of spinning my wheels, not thinking it was, thinking I would do it eventually, I guess, procrastinating on it. But the pandemic kicking me home right breaking my car a bunch of times making me think about you know what what my future is going to be the economy uh i said you know what i need to kick it and my buddy showed me a little bit about how the market works on the inside uh, i'm really grateful to him uh, thank you aaron so i'm really grateful to him for for showing me that and so in the past year i've become financially <laughs> literate and it's a huge difference maker it's a huge difference maker I'm so much more confident now in oh, yeah. dealing with my day job, knowing that my rent's paid for a year, no matter what, <laughs> you know, no matter what my day job does with me, uh -huh. no matter how I get along with them or not, my rent's paid for a year. So that's, mm -hmm. that's so important. That's so important. That's good advice, Lance. That's really good advice. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. Well, you grow up, you know, from immigrants family, they came here with absolutely nothing every mm. penny they call it penny like we don't value a penny but they do mm. they really do like every penny count into a savings and like like i said with nothing but then they were able to open their business my mom's a penny pincher mm. <laughs> she doesn't go out to go buy food she would just buy stuff and cook at home all the time like she always get mad at me about like why do you just buy food outside you know you're like dollar that you're spending you're like you're wasting that away on something that you can make a bigger picture like for yourself you know like either a house you know because even, even owning properties let's say that let's say that you buy like a fixer upper home right mm -hmm. you could totally fix it up with your own hard labor and then sell it back for later that's also a money maker too as well you know mm -hmm. so i think there's like so many creative ways you there's even like people who like buy old furnitures and then re like vamp them and sell them online mm -hmm. you know and there will be buyers on that so i'm just thinking like yeah like one dollar can go so far if you do with it it's just how you deal with money. what's your relationship now i remember you, you spending habit or i remember you being particularly stylish so has that yeah has that ever come <laughs> into conflict with your your fiscal responsibility like, yeah it did. <laughs> I, it did. that's why i told you like that's my best advice but i, I learned a lot later in life mm. that how important it is like that's why I was always she always taught me the value of certain things like you don't need a really big closet you really don't I mm. realize that like mm. a lot later in life I'm like do I 
really need all this stuff. It ends up going to like Goodwill or the landfill, you know? Mm. So mm. thinking like I am becoming a hoarder, <laughs> thinking in my head. So I'm like, you know, what? let's not do that anymore. Let's think, do I need this? Do I not really, do I really need this stuff? Do I need it? No, if not, if it doesn't help me in any way, then I don't like, that's just how I see it. Like kind of thing, you know, being minimalist in a way. Mm. And then also like being, uh, my husband, he's really good. At actually, he's a very, very good at spending. His, he knows how to like, cut his like, stocks and stuff. So I thank God for him. Mm. And I'm, I'm gonna try to learn how to do that later on in life, hopefully. And maybe like start learning how to save. Maybe I don't know. I want. I really want to do business in the future. That's kind of like also go nursing, but I do want to do side ventures. That's kind of what industry would you go into? Uh, service, direct service, like your folks, or something different. It could be service. Um, I do like the service industry, or it could even be media. Like that. I really like people at a stand. <laughs> like what you're doing is kind of cool too. But um, I haven't really find an idea yet because I have so many ideas. So I have to just depending on what I once I narrow it and see what works. Mm. Yeah. Probably gonna be a lot of uh, ups and downs, but I think I'm willing to make that venture. <laughs> I hear it. I hear it. I think uh, you know. I th- I think you're doing so well. I'm just. I'm grateful. I don't want to push anyone with your temperament, or, or give the impression that I'm pushing anyone uh, with your temperament, <laughs> right? With my wild dreaming utopian ideas and the way I go on and on about it. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I could be con- credibly argued as being a bleeding heart liberal, right? You can you can lob that criticism at me all day. It lands squarely on my shoulders. <laughs> uh, you know, I think about the future. I dream and I, and I come up with as big as ideas I possibly can. But if society was only made of people like me, uh-huh. it would have collapsed long ago. right so i'm not i'm not thinking that uh no 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 i'll tell you this i'll tell you this you're not wrong i think there's a healthy medium to both sides Mm. you do need a little bit of both sides honestly because what are i what is an idealistic person anyways right you need to have an idea and then need to have a little bit realism as well how Mm. am i gonna this idea come to fruition just kind of like um Elon Musk, I really love that guy. He is an amazing guy. He's both realistic and idealistic mm-hmm. at the same time. He never like who would think that electric cars, like as stylish as the market has as he made it, like you know, um, could have become so such a well known brand, you know. And he made so much profit from that. And then now, and he's not stopping there either. He wants to push for like space travel, SpaceX. Mm-hmm. He wants to do like a tunnel under cars or something like that. And he wanted to do like a, the hyperloop and mm-hmm. all that is amazing. I, I like his, I think he's very forward. I think ideals are great, but he's also a businessman and that's the realistic side of him. You know, he knows how to deal with money and what to do with money, how to influence politics. <laughs> I hate to say it, but how to influence politics to get his way as well. But also knowing how the, I guess, his buyers or like the he, you kind of have to have like you kind of have to be realistic on what the people want too you know mm-hmm. so it's like i love that guy i think if you want to look up to somebody maybe he's a good guy to look up to just because oh, like a huge he's a little bit of both yeah. yeah me too yeah 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 Mus- muscovin i don't know what you call us um 
Yeah, Elon Musk is a first principles thinker. So I think first yeah. principles is yeah. the is the marriage of idealism and realism that that we aspire for. So he says, let's look at what's possible. Let's investigate what's possible. And if an idea that that he's thought of is possible, then he does it. Right. So there are a lot mm -hmm. of people who are let's call them let's call them traditional principle thinkers as opposed to first principles thinkers. So this would be a mm -hmm. lot of our current elected leadership. They're thinking along the lines of what has been done. They, they limit their whole imagination to things that have been done before. That's the only thing that they go from A to B about everything that's happened up to the date. They don't think about what could happen. They just don't think it doesn't cross their mind. Um, mm -hmm. And these are these are our leaders. They're they're traditional principle thinkers. I think, oh, well, we've always done it this way. So let's just think about the things that we've always done. It. Well, Elon Musk, he's an innovator and he understands mm -hmm. physics from his core principle. And actually, when I was thinking, I was thinking last week about how to teach first principle thinking to children. And I think the best mm -hmm. place to start is the periodic table and the four fundamental forces. So you introduce a child to the periodic table. You say these are the elements that we've discovered thus far uh, and their symbols and atomic weights. These are the four fundamental forces of physics as we understand them uh, in this reality that we inhabit. And this is where objectively our knowledge base starts. These are the things we know. Uh, we, we don't just believe in the in the periodic table we don't just believe in the fundamental forces of physics we know them we we know them and we say that we know them confidently there's a there's a distinction to be drawn between knowledge and belief there and you can use that base to dream as long as you're dreaming from the periodic table and the four fundamental forces uh and so that's what that's what i'm doing at least that's what i'm trying to do with basic income. So when you a human being, what we've inherited from our ancestral strands of RNA is the innate desire to replicate. Uh, and so survival, basic survival, physical survival, the resistance of dissolution, that's one of our core instincts. Uh, and I think we should embrace that instinct and go with it. I think we should survive as a species. My moral North Star is humans, humans everywhere. Uh, and so that's a first principles thought as far as I can tell. And then I use that and I say, OK, what can society do? How can we structure our, our governments and our economies so that they support this drive? And mm -hmm. that's where I've come to the point where it seems that enjoyment itself is the embodied expression of the divine in individuals. In order for an individual to express the divine, they just need to do what they enjoy. Eventually, they'll come across it. And from what I've seen, uh, let people pursue their interests. When I when I hear Nobel, I heard a Nobel Prize winner giving a talk about how he got to the point in his science where he was able to win the Nobel Prize. And his point was that every scientist needs to be able to do exactly what they enjoy so that they can give their full selves to it. And when I heard him say that, I thought to myself, well, that's easy for you to say when you don't have to sell yourself to KFC in order to feed your kids. <laughs> right. When you, when you have to sell yourself to young brands in order to in order to keep a roof over your head, you don't get to pursue whatever you want. But what if we could get society to a point in which we all had that privilege from the gate to be able to pursue whatever you want? So I'm trying I am trying to argue 
for basic income from first principles uh, as best I can. Maybe I'm failing. That's my effort. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't think you're failing. I mean, it's a great idea as long as I guess there's better regulation, more math involved. I like math. Have you heard of Andrew Yang? Huh? Andrew Yang? Andrew Yang. Yes, I heard of him. Yes, yes, yes. Because if you say basic income and math in the same breath, you have to say Andrew Yang right after. (laughs) (laughs) What, because he's Asian or something? No, no, no. His logo (laughs) was math. He was Asian. He made fun of that. He made fun of that. He said, yes, I'm an Asian guy who likes math, right? Uh, You know, thinking of stereotypes. We were talking earlier about stereotypes. Uh, It's pretty funny. This is just a pivot. I mean, when it's true, but, but... So, I mean, I am a black guy and I'm loud. My family's loud. That's a stereotype. It's also true right. <laughs> in my, in my, you know, you, a lot of times you can hear us before you see us, uh, me and my family. Hey, it's what it is. We aren't dumb, right? I think a lot of people, when they say that black people are loud, they're kind of secretly saying black people are dumb. And so that's why they're afraid to use it, you know, that, but you know, my family, we're, we're very loud and we're very smart. Come, come have dinner with us. They're fun. I don't know. I think it's great to have like you guys are fun, and you guys say what you uh, think, (laughs) which is awesome. (laughs) You don't hold anything back for sure. (laughs) So it's it's good. Yeah. Okay. So I don't remember. We used to like how many hours is this podcast? Oh, I think we've done. I think we've done the hours. <laughs> I just go for a nice, solid count. It's usually between two and three. Uh, and what I've discovered is that once conversations just start rolling, as this one has, you, you just you lose track of time and it just rolls and rolls and rolls. But I will give you back your day. Uh, I'm so glad to hear that you're uh-huh. thriving, healing, and helping people uh, in North Dakota with your husband. Uh, are you guys? family planning is that in the future maybe maybe not oh absolutely absolutely we are doing that if, if everything is stable i think that's another plan to have a family make sure your income and everything that's, a, that's that. such a beautiful thing but i am the same way yeah. I'm, I'm here in santa Ana with my wife and we're we're getting we're working on our family so uh it's a beautiful nice. thing pandemic thank you thank you pandemic aside yeah. uh you know we're all moving forward do you have any uh-huh. social media, any sort of public presence that you want to announce to people? Oh, no, I'll keep it mm. private for now until mm. I'm ready to be open. Like I said, I'm kind of a mixture of an introvert and extrovert, but I'll definitely up later. Well, I know <laughs> I know that you're an intelligent, caring contributor and an interesting person. And that's how I know you as uh, Lan. Yeah, I well, you know what? I remember the most conversation that we did in Oakland that was the most interesting. and I was still thinking about it till this day. It was about, are we truly free? I remember that freedom of conversation. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Crazy. So that was like, the, damn. We I'm were like, talking wow. about freedom in Okim. I don't remember. Yes, we were. Because we, I was talking about like, I think we were, I was talking about like how we're so much in the U.S. And you're like, no, we're not truly free if you think about it. And I was like, really? what? I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about freedom for a long time. So I, I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly and i remember that and i was like damn he made me thought about it and i'm like freedom uh if you compare like being in a communist country versus like uh the u.s yeah we're we're actually free yeah. but then like yeah. i thought about it carefully i'm like you're not really free because you can't live off the land unless you true to you know you choose mm. to do so yeah mm. so that was an interesting 
conversation. I still remember. <laughs> well, I guess we, I guess we will continue to have thriving conversations like this one. Oh, that's cool. That's pretty dope. Okay. Great. Yeah, I'm gonna let you leave. Um, thank you for the invite. It's a pretty cool podcast you have here. I hope uh, your fan base grow because uh, you got, you're a pretty intelligent black guy, and if black people out there follow, he's a very good role model. <laughs> thank you, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. No, I really think so. See, I remember I was like, dang, this guy has a freaking, like, the A's. He aced, you aced all your old chem all the time. I and I did. was like, damn. Yeah. And I'm Asian. I couldn't get it. Like, I keep getting squeezed. <laughs> I was just like, damn. Like, the whole Asian, like, A's? No, that's totally BS. <laughs> full credit. Full credit to Dr. Teresa Speakman. But I did put in, uh, I did put in a fair amount of effort. Yeah, she's an incredible. Very, very patient. Mm-hmm. yeah all right okay, well, well thank you thank you you have a good day you too no problem great great conversation <laughs> yep bye-bye